Warning. The Dub Talk podcast may contain language and content that may not be suitable for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Please be aware that spoilers for the entirety of 86 Season 1 will be discussed thoroughly, so please be aware of this if you don't wish to be spoiled. And finally, the views and opinions expressed are those of the individual participants and do not reflect the Dub Talk podcast as a whole. We really mean it with this one, too. Uh, We do not sugarcoat, we do not pull punches, and neither does this show. So, we go into a lot of heavy subjects for this one, so be aware of that. But, yeah. It's time to march forward towards the battlefield as we face the 86. Hello and welcome to Dub Talk, where a group of friends come together to review anime dubs. Uh, usually, we do a funny bit with the intros for these, but uh, given the show, given the uh, nature of this show's subject matter, I feel like it would kind of be in four days this time, and uh, we like to treat it at least somewhat appropriately. Uh, so, anyway, I'm Jet, and I'm joined tonight by Megan. Sup, uh, Andrew. Greetings, everybody. How you doing? And I'm on. Boy, you weren't joking about this show being about war crimes. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, Not an exaggeration. Uh, so oh my. Is a, yes, uh, we are here to talk about the dub for the War Crimes Hi-Fi 86. Uh, I would use the synopsis on a and but it is like actual nonsense and incredibly inaccurate, so... Wait, wait. Uh, so I, I, I need to check this out myself. Really? Yeah, now I'm gonna read this. Also... Despite the title, 86 is only said once. The official title is, like, the number 86, and then the word 86. You just say 86 once. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, since the synopsis on it is kind of nonsense, I basically just made my own. Uh, the country of San Magnolia is at war against the Gion Empire. It was destroyed by their own autonomous weapons, known as the Legion. And it is believed that the Legion will eventually cease operation within the next two years. To hold them off in the meantime, some Magnolia claims to be using their own autonomous weapons, but in truth are using the citizens of the 86th District who they, do, who they have deemed to be subhuman and expendable. Uh, Lena is an idealistic young captain who wants to help the 86, and when she is put in charge of the Spearhead Squadron who fights directly on the front lines, she is forced to confront the reality of what exactly it is her nation has been doing. This a and n description was absolutely machine translated by like Google Translate. I need to say one thing about it though. Okay, go ahead. It's not Shin, or it's Sheen, spelled S H E E N. Oh my god! So now I'm imagining Jimmy Neutron Sheen holding up one of the the next and and the teacher going Sheen. This is the sixth time you've shown the juggernaut this week. Uh, just, God, now I'm just imagining that where it's just like Lena doing her first, uh, her first, uh, para raid. And then it's just like, uh, yes, this is Ultra Lord reporting in. That's it. That's the comedy bit for the episode. That's all. Bye. Serious from here on out. Uh, I mean... Okay, look, I'm, I'm going to have a little fun with this, but there's 
We got some real shit to work with today. My god. This. Yeah, we... Yeah, this is a very bleak show. It... I'll say this. I feel like... There's a lot of anime out there, a lot of light novel anime in particular, that like to be dark, but are dark in a way that is almost, um... Comical. Edgy. Comical, edgy... Shallow. Wow, all three of these words are fucking bangers. Comical, edgy, and shallow. As a, like, ju- ju- as a, just I mean, if you want a perfect, like, if you want a perfect example, if you want a perfect example of that, uh, check out this season's Platinum End. Oh yeah, that's another good example of something if you want, like, that it's trying to be dark, but is comically edgy and shallow. 86 is dark... Because it feels like a genuine level of, like, it is a sci-fi, uh, it is like a sci-fi war story where it feels like all the, like, the it's fictional, but all, like, the talks about war, subjugation, dehumanization, and just cannon fodder are actively chilling real-world levels of, uh, dehumanization, disassociation, and, like, blind naivety to the values of your country, even if it means just... This show goes places I genuinely did not believe it was going to, but it's also still really fun, really good watch, with really endearing, enjoyable characters that makes you care about them. I was gonna say, uh... This is like when you sit down and watch Legend of the Galactic Heroes and realize that, wait a minute, this isn't, wait a minute, this isn't fantasy at all. You know what? That's actually a pretty good comparison, all things considered. Yeah, it really is. I also made, I also said this to Andrew last night, the feeling of watching 86 is like being injected with something. You don't know what it is, but slowly throughout the 11 episodes that we're covering, which, fuck the cliffhanger for this show, I was angry. Uh, you basically feel something gnawing and eating its way out from under your skin and you're horrified by it and you're angry and you want to get rid of it, but you can't because you're guilty. Yeah, that basically describes the sentiment here. Mm. I, I also feel like we should preface what exactly we're covering as far as seasons. It's a, uh, yeah, we are covering the first season of the show, or first corp, like, the, uh, like, the way they split it up is weird, it is the first core, but it is referred to as the first season, so I guess that's how we'll count it here. But, uh, specifically the first 11 episodes, which is also the entirety of the first light novel. Which is, which is both a very good, which is simultaneously a very good standalone season, but there is enough there that I'm very curious to see where this goes. At the time of recording, it has not yet been confirmed if or when season two's English dub is coming, but we really hope it's soon. Same. Uh, so on that note, uh, we should probably start talking about this dub. And, uh... (coughs) As always, we will start by talking about the ADR voice director and adaptive scriptwriter for the dub. Uh, for this show, on direction, we have one, Ezra Weiss, who has uh, directed on such shows as Be the Beginning, Megalo Box Season 1, and the most cultured of anime classics, Bobo 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 Bobo. Wait, what? He did Bobo Bobo? 
He did. Oh my fucking god. Okay. <laughs> today is jet. Today is jet day. Yeah, and uh, adapted his script for the dub. We have Chris. Uh, okay, let me uh, make sure I have the pronunciation right. Uh, I think uh, Chris Kennedy. Who? Okay, yeah, I think you're right. I think yeah. it's Chris Kennedy. Yeah, who has done script adaptations on such shows as *Beast Star Season 2, Rockin' the Rock, and the Spanky Rohan. Also, I believe they've done a lot more video game work, and didn't they do uh, 30, 13 Sentinels Ages Rim? I'm not sure about 13 Sentinels, but I did, I, I did refer to uh, our good buddy Getter as well, who's, I know is a big fan of their game work, uh, Trails of Cold Steel's localization, uh, uh, Blaze, Bru Blaze Blue Cross Tag Battle, uh, Devilman Cry 5, uh, Zwei the Ilvard Insurrection, and the localization of Yokai Watch, just to name a few. Oh, yeah, that is a pretty impressive resume. Oh, yeah, no, like, this, this dude's done a lot of video games before uh, just only recently hopping into the anime localization world. Okay. Uh, so, uh, Andrew, would you like to go first? Oh my god, you're starting off with me. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Alright, so, 86. Let's talk about 86. I have one word to talk about 86. Fuck. This is a show that is... Fascinating, engaging, interesting, and goes hard. And to sell the war, like the sci-fi war republic environments that they are in, they need to sell the tone of the show. And the tone of the show is that you have children who are trying to be children who've had their childhood taken away from them going to war basically embracing the nihilism that nothing matters, they're going to die. But they approach it with the level of, like... I don't think they are afraid to die, nor are they angry to die. They're angry at the situation they are exist in, but they have, like, made peace with the fact that this is their life, they can't escape it. Might as well live, fight, love, and die to our fullest. And that is a hard balancing act. Not only to make this a serious show, but also to make it a very funny, enjoyable cast of characters. Because everything we talked about, a lot of things we're going to talk about are really hard, really blatant, like, war trauma discussions. It's also a really fucking funny show. There's a couple of good goofs in there. And I feel like a lot of the vocal directions and the script really convey that. I feel like there's a good levity to the direction and the script when it needs it. But it also knows when to really hit you with a goddamn gut punch. It, it all comes together naturally and endearingly so. Uh, I also want to give props to the fact that, like, this is, uh, this is a Bang Zoom dub, actually, and, uh, this was recorded during the pandemic stuff, and they embraced the fact that this remote recording can, 
lead to some pretty fun and interesting casting decisions too. And I'm glad to see Bang Zoom embracing a lot more of that because we got a bunch of people from the uh, the Dallas Spear entering in this dub too, and that's pretty goddamn cool. I, I, like, I feel like a lot of my individual thoughts about, like, the vocal direction and specifically a lot of things that uh, Chris Kanigi uh, put in the script, I really want to say for, like, specific character stuff. But I'll definitely say uh, the vocal direction is strong, where you've got good drama and good comedy chops. And I want to compliment Chris on really good character dialogue. It feels like... Chris has a very good knack on, like, witty character. It's, like, good character interactions and, like, character writing that they just feel like real people talking to each other. And I think both the material and the adaptation did a good job with that. I'm also going to give a shout-out to the whole Yobai thing, which I didn't know what a Yobai was. And I think they kept the Yobai thing vague because, of course, a couple of those kids of different nationalities wouldn't know what Yobai is. And Yobai is basically, just pulling that up, uh, night crawling. Which is basically just young men and women running off to go fuck. That's a thing I learned. I learned that because of that being in the dub, and I thought that was fun. I learned a thing. I'm, I'm very much rambling. I was not prepared to, to be first for the shooting gallery. <laughs> But TLDR, it's good. It's really good. It's really <laughs> fucking good. I'm very impressed. Uh, cool. Uh, Megan, would you like to go next? Uh, do you mind having Alwan go next? I'm working on something terrible. Oh, no. Oh, sure. Uh, I'm on. Uh, would you like to go? Sure. Uh, I mean, what Andrew said. Uh, this is a really good dub. I'll... I was pleasantly surprised by this show more because I don't know from the I mean I heard people were saying it was good but I, I think I was expecting something a little more kind of typical anime like or like or like more action anime at least which I know can get a little like grim and grisly but like you know they're still essentially fun I feel like the 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 anime that crosses over into being kind of a bad time in a good sense or smaller and the ones that do that well are smaller upon that. Uh, which, you know, I'll get into this later, but, you know, it's, it's this is a good show for a lot of reasons. But I think the dub for it is really strongly done. Uh, I think... I, 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 want, I want to bring up you talking about how I think they do a good job of balancing the emotions, because I feel like there is a way to uh, adapt something that is kind of grim and heavy and make it kind of be too much of a bummer. Like, it, it's it's so heavy that even when you try to have levity, it doesn't stick very well because it's it, it almost contrasts too much with what else is going on. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think they did a good job of being able to balance that out. That, like, no, it's not just a miserable grindhouse, even for the people out on the field. Like, they they love and laugh and they have friends, goddammit. Like, they, they also uh, have, like, good history and chemistry with each other. Like, actually, there, there is an example I'll say is that I, I love when they bust uh, Rygin's chops about, like, the time he thought he was going to die, and he said something, like, poetic and almost romantic, and they always, like, make fun of him for it. Where he's like, if the last thing I ever see is this, maybe that's not so bad. And they even call it out, like, when they get out. 
And then he's just like, oh, shut it. And he's like, look, I never took you for such a romantic, dude. It's like, they've got good chemistry. No, that's true, actually. Like, even, even from when you first start seeing all of the 86 together, there's a real sense of actual, like, built-in camaraderie to the way they're acting with each other. Uh, also, I can't remember if we mentioned it earlier, we are spoiling the hell out of this, so if you wanted to go in blind, like, why are you listening to this? Wrong podcast, told, yeah, guys. Yeah, we already told you in the description we were going to spoil it. We mean that. We, don't be stupid. And we will talk about all of this. We don't really know anything about season two. Oh my god! Uh, so, I mean, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I do, but I won't say anything. Fucking Christ! <laughs> Just make sure you send that to whoever's editing it, so they can throw it. They <laughs> can, can understand why Andrew is acting this way and why. I told I'm you I was making something cursed. Oh no, Megan! Why would you do this to me? Blame A and N. That's what the file's called. Thanks, A&M. I have 561 Ultralord action figures that I'm bringing with me to their final rest. <laughs> I'm just going to note that when I read that spelling error, I just thought Charlie Sheen, because why not? Um, Please, no, I do not want to make a, a, a two and a half men one of these. Uh, Martin Sheen and it can be an Apocalypse Now one? Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, anyways... Um, let's see if I can find my train of thought again. I'm sorry, Amon. That's fine. Um, uh, camaraderie. I think you were talking about camaraderie. Yeah. Well, no, no. Th I mean, that's. I mean, that was. That's. That's all the point I really had on that one. Is just like, yeah, they actually sound like a unit, uh, which I think works very well, especially for the beginning when they don't. I mean, obviously they don't trust Lena for. Astonishingly obvious reasons, but even like just on top of that, it's just like, ah, you're the new one. Okay. Sure. See how long you last. They they immediately prepared her uh offensive caricature. It, it's 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 good that uh what is it? When they were making the movie Aliens, they had everyone except for Sigourney Weaver rehearsed together a lot, so when they started shooting, they would have more initial camaraderie than Sigourney Weaver, than Ripley did, who obviously was just a, you know, frozen lady they found on a ship or whatever. Uh, and this, I, I assume that probably didn't do this for this because it's a dub, that's not how rehearsing for that works, but it has that feeling to it. There's, there's a legitimate sense of, like, these people know each other and have actual pre-existing history, as opposed to these other characters who they don't have that with, and thus they don't trust as probably far as they can throw them. Uh, and I, I think, like, especially given the circumstances this was recorded under, like, that comes off really well. Like, good job, guys. Uh, also, I guess just good job not fucking it up. <laughs> the show feels like it would be very easy to fuck up in a lot of ways. Yeah! So. Like, the, the more I was watching this, the more I realized, man, if they got a slightly less competent adaptation team, this material could have just fucking drowned i'll be very i'm gonna say it i'm very happy that this didn't go to the other studio that crunchyroll does dubs with not because they're a bad studio per se but overall their adaptive writing quality hasn't always been as up to snuff nor has their casting ability i think that's actually very fair i it's harsh, but it's yeah, fair. Yeah, 
Yeah, that is fair, though, when you were bringing up Adapt and I was honestly thinking more, like, in towards a broad strokes with, like, the way the show itself was directed. Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah, I... I know, I know, I know, like... Is that, be- that because this is, like, a really capitally directed show. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I had a thought of, like, you know, watching this, I learned it was based on a light novel. I know, like, you know... Light novel is just a format of, like, book publishing that doesn't actually mean anything in of itself. Most of what we associate with light novel is more to do with, like, what gets adapted and what gets brought over rather than anything else. But you feel like uh, the term is kind of derogatory. I mean, I mean, as far as I know, it's light novel because it's, like, light reading. Like, it's it's meant to distinguish it from, like, you know, Murakami or, like, you know, serious literature, quote-unquote. Yeah, this is quote-unquote uh, light reading. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the fact that it's like this at all, and for that matter... Charlie sticks the landing on some heavy stuff is already pretty impressive, and the fact that it went through being a novel, being an anime, and then being dubbed into another language and managed to keep doing that? Like, no, kudos all around. Like, this this could have this could have face planted so hard at so many steps on that journey and it didn't, and I'm very impressed. Same. Yeah. That's uh, that's I all I got, yeah, so. I'll go now, because I'm done making that. Eighty sheen. <laughs> Eighty sheens. Oh, holy fucking shit! I am so sorry. I dropped that in the middle of your thing, Robon. I did not mean to do that. Um. No. So for me, I was actually the one that kind of was rallying everybody, like to watch this fucking show in the first place. Because thank you, thank you. I had been, I I was on a ser- I'm on the Funimation server and. There are a couple guys on there named uh, Mana and Jay who are huge fans of the white novel. And they had been suggesting it to a bunch of us to read. And I grabbed it and I grabbed the first volume and I read the first chapter before the anime came out. And because I literally cannot sit and read anything with actual words for a very long period of time, I'm still on chapter one. Uh, I'm at the beginning of chapter two on like three novels. Like, I think I'm like almost all the way through Sexile volume one out of two i'm somewhere in like i think i'm almost halfway done with the first volume of saint's power and this and i think i read a, like the first chapter of pretty boy detective club i'm gonna be honest i thought you were still talking about 86 and when you mentioned chapter three chapter three of sex island i'm like what the fuck happens in those later novels <laughs> no andrew this is not about this is not that sex island is a rather scathing take on a different subject um, uh, so I've heard, which hopefully that gets an anime someday. Oh, I want Funimation to co-pro that and put Jamie Markey and Monica Real as the leads and watch people's heads explode. Um, Ooh, so damn. We haven't even it's dropped just... the war commentary stuff and we're already spicy. <laughs> well, that's the one thing I wanted to talk about the show, was that when you're adapting something I feel like is a rather scathing commentary intentionally or not about something that identifies your country's you know large sins i imagine that you as a person it's a little bit sobering to read and sobering to perform in some cases uh this show does not mince words imagery or uh pleasantries on how it feels about the industri- the military industrial complex fascism uh, ethno-nationalism at all it is it is i when i read the novels 
I, I, I read the first chapter, which is almost entirely from Lena's POV. And I actually thought that the novels were a lot harsher than the anime was. Um, which, when we talk about Lena as a character and other characters interacting with Lena herself, um, I do need to finish that novel now. But this is a show that makes no mistakes on how it wants you to interact with it. This is not, I'm going to sit here for 11 episodes and turn off my brain. This is a show that actively confronts you on things. And that's one of the things I want to give appreciation to in the adaptive writing is that it is so genuinely raw as a a series that I am so immensely impressed by Chris Chris's writing and Urza's directing. This is by far one of Crunchyroll's strongest dubs that they've put out or produced. Um, which you're which you're saying is, oh come on, Megan, they've been doing this for five years with decent enough studios. Here's the thing. Crunchyroll has a really, really, really bad time picking what they dub. And for this may actually be hard to hear, the material that you're working with can impact what your what the product sounds like at the end. Oh, for sure. Oh, oh, for sure. If you wonder why a lot of those like, because I uh, guy dubs kind of sound like they're on autopilot. That is probably why. Yeah. I... Can I finish my point, guys? Okay. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Thank you for chiming in. I, I, I wasn't done. I was taking... My stomach's upset, so I'm drinking broth so that my stomach is not mad at me. Okay. Um. Gotcha. No, so Crunchyroll has this really bad habit of picking really bad material to dub. And you're like, oh, but Megan, they've dubbed Mob Psycho, they've dubbed Bunyo Stray Dogs, and those are dubs that, well, at least in Bungo's case, I like, and Mob Psycho's dub is also very well put together from what I've heard. But at the same time, Crunchyroll's way of picking material is genuinely going by just what they think will be popular because people are probably either hate watching it because people have told them it's bad or it's people who are just genuinely watching everything every season. So they're going to watch the garbage shit. Like, let's be real. This season, spring of 2020, sorry, spring 2021 was arguably their best dub lineup because they actively picked almost everything strong out of their lineup between this and To Your Eternity. The only thing they fucked up in not dubbing was Odd Taxi, which they co-produced. I believe that was actually the season before. No, this was same season. No, 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 no Odd Taxi was spring. Was it? I thought that was winter. No, no was I'll, talk to, I'll talk to you with Spring. Okay, I stand corrected then. So no, this is a dub that came in with strong material as is. And I believe this is the dub that took the longest for them to start. Um, But I really want to compliment how raw this feels in the good way. This is a show that is very uncomfortable on purpose. Like, my glowing review of the show is that it gave me anxiety so bad I wanted to vomit twice. Because this show is fucked up. Like, not fucked up in the way of, oh man, 
that guy's head just got cut off. It's fucked up in the way of, oh my god, on top of the extra central, on top of confronting fascism, ethno-nationalism, war crimes that you could not believe that go back to, like, very specific Nazi-level shit. You're also confronted with a villainous force who you come to find out uses probably one of the most outright freaky ways to fight back. Like, imagine the Borg from... Was the Borg Star Trek or Star Star Trek. Star Trek. Yeah. Imagine the Borg, but creepier. With a little more uh, decapitation. Just... You remember the Jonathan Colton song, All We Want to Do is Eat Your Brains? Yes, mm-hmm. very vividly. We're not unreasonable. I mean, no one's going to eat your eyes. All we want to do is make <laughs> your brain a pilot. We're not unreasonable. No one's going to eat your eyes. Oh. Uh, I, uh, I don't know. When he, thought, when he started talking about brains, I just thought about the Voltrain song. Pilot. As I and as I anyone like Billy and Mandy's did, that was about that. Pi- uh, pilot the Legion, Shinji, or we'll cut off Ray's head and make her do it for you. Won't you have to cut off my head to do that, though? Shut up, Shinji. Do it. We tell you. Just get get your yucks now, kids. It's gonna be grim. Yeah, yeah really. But no, this dub is is fantastic. It is genuinely, I think, I think the show itself is. Like, you need to watch it regardless mm-hmm. of your language choice. But the dub in specific is so very strong and probably some of the, the, the best money Crunchyroll has spent on things. You know, like they should be doing to pay their translators and not give Hime a shitty rig to play Mario Odyssey with. Anyway, Jet, go ahead. Um, so yeah, I'm uh, just gonna echo away the sentiment we've been hearing here. Um... <coughs> This is a really strong, really well put together dub. Definitely one of the best uh, cards roll has been out. Period. Like definitely up there with uh, Go and ReZero. It is really well put together, and definitely one and, uh, and uh, definitely one of the uh, best Magzoom dubs I've heard in like. Okay, I, don't, okay, I can't say a good while because there's also been another really good Magzoom dub this year. But like this is a really, really strong one for them. I really like a lot of the casting choices here. Um, like Andrew was saying, they did, they did a pretty good job of bridging out for this one. There's, there's, like, oh, there's a pretty good mix of like um, LA regulars and some Texas folks. And for as I, as I, and early being someone who has been having like a really, really, really good year. So that's awesome. And, I, and yeah, I've uh, been I was pretty impressed with how well directed it was. There was a really good balance between how grim a lot of the material was and, you know, some brief moments of levity and comedy. And a lot of that was balanced really well. And so, and that also bled really well into the script. I definitely did appreciate how natural a lot of the dialogue sounded, which is, uh, which is definitely kind of some kind of an issue I've had with some of the, with some other, uh, of cultural has produced. I mean, granted that, I mean, granted, obviously, Granted, obviously, that kind of comes down to, like, whoever the scriptwriter is, and as and in the case of this show, Chris really did an impeccable job. Like, the char- I, like the characters have really good chemistry, they bounce off each other really well, a lot of the dialogue is great, and the material was translated pretty well. I really don't have 
I really can't think of anything to complain about. It was really well put together, and like, as I and like watching it up for a second time for this podcast, I was actually even more impressed with it. So, like, yeah, I'm really happy with how this one was put together. Uh, so on that note, we then transition into talking about characters. Uh, so first up, we have uh, a few members of the Spearhead Squadron who are a little less relevant than our main five, and uh, a little less relevant right. and a little less breathing. <laughs> yeah, all right. Uh, I probably shouldn't mince words here. Uh, these guys are kind of the red shirts of the show. I mean, it sounds kind of mean given the subject matter we're dealing with, but they're basically here to get a couple of episodes of screen time, maybe one or two good scenes, and then they're gone. That said, they're I'll be darned if I didn't feel bad for some of the. Oh, sorry. No, go uh, ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say that that said, I'll be darned if I didn't feel bad for some of them, so I guess the show got me with that anyway. Oh, yeah, no. It's like, there's a couple where it's like, it's pretty obvious, but there's a few of them where it's like, oh, oh, that... It's I'm... the thousand cuts. Yeah. They exist for the thousand cuts. Which, yeah. I'll, mm. I'll also say I have saved... For audio purposes, I've saved visual indicators for you guys uh, up above the, in the chat. Uh, that does help. Uh, so, uh, anywho, writing out these characters, we have Daya Eriba, uh, Kaitanya, Kujo Nico, Leika Lin, uh, Mine Yadamika, Mikuri Cairo, and Haruto Keats. Uh, playing Daya is Alejandro Saab, who has played such characters as Sushiro Suzuki in Cheerboys, Kensuke Aida in the Kaori dub of the Ava Rebuild films, and Scorpio Milo in the Sentai dub of Saint Seiya. At playing Kai, we have Jenny Yokobori, who has played such characters as Serena in How a Realist Hero Rebuilt the Kingdom, Kadeshi in SSSS Dinazenon, and Xiaomei in Eden Zero. Uh, for Kuto, we have Mark Allen Jr., who has played such characters as Ukiyo Sayonji and Dr. Stone, Brad Koka in Buggy the Kingdom of Magic, and Nazumi in SSSS Dinazenon. I'm playing Lucka Lin. We have Kristen McGuire, who has played such characters as Yanano Karasi in Assassination Classroom, Amao Nanjo and Hensky, and Rin Toyama in New Game, because, well, I guess Andrew would probably joke me if I didn't mention that. Just a little. Just a little, just a, just some light choking. Jack, don't don't worry. When I go up to his house for that one night, I have the hammer and I can just bonk him with it. It's a squeaky hammer. Okay, don't uh, worry. playing. Yeah, uh, playing behind, we have Emmy Lowe, who has played such characters as Naruto and Kakushigoto, or the Ryugu and Higurashi when they cry go, and Hototo and Apairanban. Uh, for Mikuri, we have uh, Tiana Kamacho, who has played such characters as. Uh, Shama in Shironeko Project Zero Chronicle, Lisa in Hero Mask, and B in Pokemon Journeys. Uh, unfortunately, we were unable to confirm the actor for Haruto in time for this recording. I'm pretty sure I do know who it is, but I don't want to break professionalism in like openly speculating. So it's, it's the kind of we're thi- just going to mention the character in passing. It's the kind of thing where it's like we could I we got want to mention them because they at least are relevant enough and. Harto actually makes it the longest, believe it or not. I think he's literally the last one just shy of the final suicide run. But yeah. we were not able to confirm who officially plays Harto. 
Weirdly enough, we thought it was confirmed, but it turned out somebody edited that on ANN wrong, and the person they edited was like, I never said I was in this show. Why am I credited for this? Yes, and I'm kind of weirded out they would even mistake it for that person because, like, having heard it, it's like, okay, it is, like, very clearly someone else. Again, I'm not gonna, again, I'm not gonna, like, actually say who it is in case I'm wrong, but, like, I'm pretty positive it's that person. Yeah, so. I'll say this, I, I like a lot of these characters, but half of these are probably gonna go fast. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like, uh, yeah, I feel like, uh, like, Alin, Mead, and, uh, Mikuri could probably go pretty quickly. Yeah, I guess I'll go first with them. Um, Leika, I, I know, she was kind of funny. The way I remember Leika is that she's the girl who, uh, commits suicide in her juggernaut. Like a fucking she, champ! Yeah. Yeah, she, she blows out her own brains so that they can't, the Legion can't use her. Oh, yeah, that was pretty dope. What an uplifting story. Yeah! When you were denied control of everything else, at least you had control of your death. That's pretty God, I can't much. wait until we, get to, until we talk about uh, Raiden, because I think Raiden gives that speech oh, yeah. about walk how you choose to walk up to the gallows. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite lines in the whole show. Just her her trip to the gallows was blowing her brains out. Um, I don't remember a lot about Minya or Mikuri. Um, I thought they were they were fine. I thought they fit in very well to the cast. Uh, Mark Allen Jr.'s Kujo was rememberable not because of how long he lasted. He's the first one to die, but because of how much energy he brought. And that's one of the things I want to talk about all of the spearhead squadron as a group is that uh, Amon pointed it out in his opening thoughts about how they did feel like an actual group of people who were friends with each other. And I do think that all of the actors there did a really good job. And one of the things I want to compliment the show on is that when these characters, even after they die, they still flash back to them. And a lot of how you see these characters' personalities, I know, uh, especially Cujo is... When the one member of the Spearhead Squadron we're not talking about because he doesn't have a voice uh, passes Fido. Uh, Fido. Oh God, that's like you have. To, I have to send the editor that meme I sent to the group, and it's this like you can do this. You're a. <laughs> let me get the exact wording of it. Uh, you can do it. You're a grown man. A man. You can take it. Uh, I'm a big adult. You can do this. And then I photoshopped Shin giving, I think, Fido his thing. And then you see Fido's uh, camera and his body in the fire. And it's just the dude crying at the very last panel. Oh. Like, fucking Fido, man. It's on the but second the thing- rewatch, that hurt even worse. Yeah, because you, cause you know all these characters. And the thing about Fido's... Fido's memories are is that they're living proof of these characters as they are and that is children like they are teenagers but they are also still kids and they have the energy of kids and they have it's like watching it's like 
Okay, Amon and I might know Amon Jet and I might know this a little bit more because we were in high school in the early 2010 in the early the late 2000s. Do you guys remember that song that they would play over every graduation video? That as we go on we remember song. It's not that vitamin C uh, one. That was like, yes. Uh, yes. I probably did hear it, but it's been such a long time that I yeah, it's, it was you, you, you coin flip. It's either that or Good Riddance by Green Day. It's not Good Riddance by Green Day. No, but it's it's the it's the worst one. Uh, or not. All right, I like it less, but you know. Anyway, you had a point. Yes, Continue. that vitamin C. Uh, yeah, the graduation friends forever song. Yeah, that song. That's what it felt like they were playing. Hmm. Like if the show had like was made like a shitty American live action remake, that was what would play over Fido's death. I'm just glad they played a sa- the fucking Sawano tracks, which goddamn. <laughs> not, the show soundtrack is so good. Not every um, not every Sawano OST hits. But when it hits, it hits hard. I was talking about... Yeah, uh, yeah, there were also really good sourdough EDs this time. Like, they were real good. Talking about this maybe had a horrible realization. What? What? I was associating with this with the other piece of media about sad robots I like, and I realized both of them are about a robot that records everything going on around them. And it's weird. Uh, Have I ever told you about the Transformers comic with the sad gay robots? No. no. Uh, you want a sidebar now or after we're done recording? <laughs> okay, no, no, you don't no, just drop is... sad gay All Transformers right. and not talk about it. All right, Transformers: More Than Meets the Eye, published by IDW. John Roberts is writing. I think Alex Milne draws it. I'm not sure. Uh, there's two of them: Chrome Dome and Rewind. Uh, there's more or less established as a couple, and for reasons, Rewind dies, and it turns out Chrome Dome is not good at losing his partners and he tends to wipe his own memory of their relationship because he can't deal with the pain uh and a friend of his shows up and said don't fucking do this to yourself also before rewind died he chucked this usb drive out uh this is probably for you so go watch it and it's like a message from rewind to chrome dome all told up with like images of stuff he's recording giving a little speech basically about like you know don't do this to yourself and it ends with a shot of the two of them looking at her mirror, and Rewind says, I love you. Man, that sounds beautiful. Oh, oh it's, it's, that, it's, that's... it's, aggre- it is beautiful and aggressively heartbreaking. Wow. <laughs> because that's... you realize you're sad about, you know, a toy franchise. That is the exact tone of the Fido montage. Oh, absolutely. Well, yeah. oh, look, look, if you enjoy, actually, if you enjoyed this, go track down that John Roberts Transformers run. You will probably like it a lot. Yeah, no, so, but my point was, though, is that that video, and one of the, the best qualities of 86, is that they made these characters believably more human. And you saw that in those videos, and those videos gave more character to these characters like Kujo, Leka, Mina, uh, Mirko, Haruto, Daya, and Kaye, because you saw them energetic happy and mark really captured i think kujo's energetic and confidence and being a dork even though he's the first one to die and mark's performance in his death of how much it hurts and how much he just wants shin to come end it but man the two stands up in the section have to be jenny yobarki and dot and alejandro Saab. 
And I'll talk about Daya first, because Daya's death is dirty. Um, Daya's love story with uh, Anju is genuinely one of the more captivating aspects of this show. And Daya is kind of treated as the the ter- very stereotypical, well, if you like her so much, you dumbass dork, go just ask her out, you big baby. And you see a lot of Haruto and Theo uh, teasing him. One of my actual favorite hilarious moments in the show is where the three of them go spy on all the girls taking a bath in the river on laundry day. And Theo and Haruto push him out and the girls immediately go from giggling to drawing their guns in straight military commando style and almost killing him, resulting in, I think, Anju throwing a knife at Daya and then almost beating him with her belt. I, I don't know if but Anju threw the knife, but she did- Somebody threw a knife! She did whip the belt out, and it was like, oh, you went- Oh, you were all fucked. Oh, you um. Oh, God, I'm gonna say. Oh, no. Okay. I almost said the thing. Get it out, because you're gonna want to say it. We can cut it out of recording. No, I don't regret cu- saying it. I'm just gonna say is Anju is very dummy mommy type. Okay, he's gotten it out at least. But Daya's death is genuinely moving. Because not only do you lose... And that's the thing about all of these performances. Is like, they are not meant to stand out in a way. Except for maybe Kaye's. But their their loss of audio. And the loss of dialogue. Provides so much more than what would be there. Like, the fact that you only get flashbacks of them at points, and then after a lot of them die, the only other time you see them talk is in Fido's death, provides more of that dramatic tension and oomph that the show needs. And speaking of dramatic tension and oomph, oh, Jenny Yoboriki. Uh, I th- I oh, Yokobori. I think it's Yokobori. Yokobori. Yeah, I think it's Yokobori. Jenny Yokobori's performance as Kaye is the shit that will haunt your nightmares in a good way because she is just a very nice sounding well-meeting girl but she has this moment of a person who is trying to be nice and let someone down easy by joking with them because she's like oh lena are you lena are you a virgin and of course, it does the weird anime thing of like, oh no, ha ha! And, and, and then you immediately hear her try to like, that way that people try to like, obfuscate bad t- bad wording. Like, no, I didn't mean it like that. As in, you're naive and you don't know anything of the world. You need to stop talking to us. Because she knows that Lena, she's the person who's going to let Lena down nicely. And then you get to Kaye's death which is genuinely the first one that starts tipping the dominoes. And Jenny's delivery of I don't want to die will crush your fucking soul. And if it doesn't do it the first time, when she becomes indoctrinated, it's gonna hit. Oh, when she becomes Legion because they don't have her brain? It becomes so much worse. Because I think you realize that her death is not by Shin's hands. 
she probably died getting her, her the top of her skull sliced open and having her brain forcibly ripped out of her. Yep. Anyway, I'm done. Next person. <laughs> oh, I'm very uh. good. Oh, by the way, if anybody's like, damn, Megan can talk about this shit very nonchalant, like, very matter-of-fact, and then just nonchalantly pass it over. I went to film study schools. I've seen shit you wouldn't believe and just had to talk about it I've also done film study school, so I feel you. I can take the ball. Oh, God. Okay. So. So, I'll, I'll start off with a couple of these, just because... A lot of this section is going into a lot of voice actors where I, I really want to commend the fact that Bang Zoom was taking advantage that this was a remote recording dub and going to a bunch of people that are currently located in, in Texas. I know uh, Mark Allen Jr., I think he used to live in Cali for a bit because I know he was in the Magi dub for a bit, but I think he now currently lives in Texas. So it was him alongside uh, Emmy Lowe and uh, Krista McGuire that were from Texas, that are currently in Texas, getting to show up in this dub, and I think it was really cool. Uh, I didn't have the most impression of Emmy and Tiana, but I thought that they were very cute as the sort of girl squad. I really liked Kristen as uh, Lekka, because she's kind of got that that whole, like, sassy, tough girl that's kind of just bust the balls of her pals. But also just, I love how... Like, Kristen has such a raw, like, I'm going out the way I want to. They're, these fuckers ain't taking me. Because, cause like, the whole thing with Shin is that Shin kills them so the Legion can't get them. And that she chooses, okay, they're kind of going to get me. I got this. And she does it herself. It's, like, such a, it's such a fucking raw, like, oh, goddammit, girl. I went from being like, okay, you're cool, but I don't remember you too much to being like... Girl, uh, it's like the movie equivalent of arming the bomb right as they're about to get you. And it's like, oh, that's so good. Uh, but yeah, I like Kristen and Emmy. Mark has a very good, sincere energy to him. Good boy energy. And then he's bleeding and begging for death. I also liked something I missed on the second rewatch. Um, he was the one that was doing the charting of the six months. He started the calendar. Dude, I really do. I really do appreciate the slightly gratuitous English they had there. Fucking finally getting out of here in 180 <laughs> days. But the more heartbreaking thing is they stopped keeping track. Because he wasn't there to keep track anymore. He wasn't there to keep track. And by the time the people that did pick up the slack to keep track... What did they fucking care? They stopped at 120 days and just never even cared anymore because they knew they were the hangman's gallows. That's where they're at. But yeah, the, definitely the two highlights of this section. Also want to give a shout out to Haruto because he's a very good little dipshit. I love that kid. He almost made he almost made it to the end of the Danganronpa, which my way of describing it is like the final death march. The final squad of five gave me very... These are the people who survived the end of the Danganronpa game. That's how I described that squad. But Harto was a good boy. Just made it... Just whiffed it at the 11th hour. Rest in peace. I love... I love Jenny Yokobori as Kaye. 
or that she is a very cool, fun girl. I love that it's also that you see her kind of messing with her pals too, and you kind of see like when she says something she shouldn't. I think my favorite is like when she basically admits that uh, uh, she admits Undertaker can't fucking read. Or, like, can't really read or write that good. Everything goes quiet. She's choking on bread. It's like, oh, shit, I just said something I shouldn't have. I'm so sorry. No, so, no, so, okay, so, no specifically what happened was uh, he tried to pretend that he couldn't read and she outed him and saying, oh, yeah, he can read just fine. Oh, that's what, okay. I misremember mis I mis I mis that. He was trying to be like, oh. God, there's so many things I want to talk about with this He's like, show oh, I can't like read good. Details. He's like, what the fuck are you talking about? You're reading a book right now. It's like, oh, oh, shit. I'm so sorry. Like, that's pretty fucking funny. But, no, Jenny's got a very warm heart to her. She's kind of silly, but she's got great chemistry talking about, like, the serious shit that the 86 have gone through while also being friendly. Like, I think that was a great way of putting it. Uh, letting her, letting, uh, Le Lena down gently. And then, of course, just the trauma that is, I don't want to die, warped through a distilled, uncaring, robotic legion. And Jenny's just... Ge she's genuinely sweet and kind and memorable and I'll, I'll also say this uh, well actually I'll wait till I finish talking about Alejandro Saab uh, Alejandro Saab is a good fucking goofy boy who in any other show I feel like would have been the dumb stupid pervert type but he's not he's the love struck puppy who thinks he doesn't have a chance and doesn't realize that it's mutual and that's what makes it hurt more. That's what makes it hurt more. What? Because also I love that they have basically like the cherry blossom viewing thing. And like his buds are basically like, hey, yo, Anjo, this guy wants to talk to you. And then she comes over and she kind of is down to talk to him and they dance together. They dance together. Scenes that broke my heart in 86, number 715. Oh, the fucking... When they're talking about, like, seeing the Aurora Borealis, and it's like, I want to make things a little better for her, cuts to them holding hands at the Cherry Blossom viewing, and then cut to him being gone, Anshu sneaking out in the back, in, like, the back, as Fido's looking at her, basically slowly losing it. I'm like... Mm! God, no, Alejandro is so funny and goofy and sweet. And also, like, one of the funniest laughs is just the very genuine. They're like, uh, we have a question for you. We do? Yeah, you do, right, buddy? It's like, uh, um, what's yo bye? And they just start throwing shit at him. It's like, oh, God. Oh, God, fucking Alejandro is so funny, heartbreaking, and so sweet. Also, something I noticed about the show is that, um... In the opening, when they're kind of montaging people, they have this one shot of, like, Kurena, Anju, and then, like, somebody thrown into the, the middle of them. In the first three episodes, it's Kaye. And then she dies. And then, four through six, in the middle of them is uh, Daya. And then he dies. And then seven through eight, it's Haruto. And then by episode nine, it's just Kurena, and it's just Anju, because nobody else is left. Also, my other and, uh, thing. and that's not getting into the uh, you know. Oh, the the, re the red flower garden. Oh, you mean the red spider lily garden? Oh, that's what it's because called. Thank you. yeah, because that symbolizes death. 
I, I don't have I have thoughts about the song, but I think the visuals are actually pretty on point with the opening. So, yeah, so, yeah, I remember like when I was reading it when I was reading the A Dad reviews and got the board type words, I was like, Man, there's still a lot of open space left in that field. It's like Oh, oh yeah. Oh honey, you've got a storm coming. But yeah, no, a lot of these are a bunch of red shirts, but I like a lot of these red shirts. I really do. And I am happy that's, that... That's how they get you, Andrew. I know, they got me fucking good. Like, I didn't even... I, wa I wasn't that upset when they died. And then it was the... It was the... It was the Fido montage that destroyed me. Fuck. Uh, okay, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. Uh, I'm on. Yeah, but they said... Uh, I'll be... <laughs> I'll be up front. Some of the characters in A6 tend to blend together a little to me now because they were poorly written or poorly acted. My brain's just made of mush. And I watched this in a big hurry when I thought we were recording last week. I'm uh, so sorry. No, that's not your... Look, my brain would have still been mush. I don't, I don't have a lot of time to marathon things usually, so I just tend to watch things whenever I can, which is not always the optimal way to view a show like this, for example. But uh, these people are good. Like, I have nothing bad to say about anyone in the 86 side of the cast. It was all very well casted. It was well acted. I think even with these characters, you can see a lot of that, like, Trump camaraderie coming through. Uh, like, these are just... These are... The show's great, and it's sad. Uh, and these characters... Like, I think everyone in these performances is excellent. I think they hit the notes they need to hit with these characters. And case... Like, I mean, we've, we've, we've talked how much about, like, even these people. The red shirts who are kind of there, so you, so you like them, and then they die. And it just really grinds in the, the horror of the situation. Like, it works. It absolutely works. And it's a huge fucking bummer. So... Mm -hmm. thumb, thumbs up, guys. Thumbs up. Okay, um, so, uh, yeah, I can get through, um, Legoland, uh, Meta, and, uh, Mikuri pretty fast, because, uh, those are the three who, uh, kind of blended together a little for me, but I did, but I do definitely think, uh, Chris did, and me, and Tiana did a, sorry, uh, did a really good job with them. Uh, like you guys were saying, yeah, I thought Chris had handled, uh, Mika's final scene pretty well, and at least he got to... Well, if not go out gracefully, at least you go without our own terms, and that was nice. But uh, I thought all three of them were pretty, uh, handled things pretty well. Uh, Mark Allen Jr. as Kujo, uh, yeah, he did a really good job of making him seem like a pretty cool dude, and that came out pretty well in Mark's performance. And uh, he definitely did a really good job of selling how devastating his last moments were, even if I... Even if Artemy does kind of wish the show had it pulled the obvious black guy dies first cards and it does feel a little awkward given this show's subject matter. Uh, that's Chris did that blow was often somewhat by the fact that he didn't get like other scenes spread throughout flashbacks or wasn't just that one instance so that did help things somewhat and I did and I didn't really did like him during some of those other scenes. I think, like, I think, like, specifically one of the things that got me was, like, when they were doing the whole, uh, soccer, soccer blossom, blossom viewing during, during, uh, that one flashback. As I, and, as I, and, as I, and, uh, they're all talking about, like, the rumors they've heard about a female handler. As I, as I, as I, and they're all, and, you know, they're making jokes about, like, whether she's gonna be a pig or, like, they're like, oh, or no, maybe she'll be some kind of saint. And then you hear Kuto's like, you know, if there really is someone out there like that, I'd like to meet them someday. 
I guess who's the only one who never gets to meet her? Oh God! God. Oh, I didn't even remember that. Fuck. Mm. This fucking show, man. Yeah, There's a, a lot of little life. like attention to detail things. Can you can you lay a death flag after they've already died? Eighty six fights away. Uh, so yeah, um, and Jennifer, uh, uh, getting into uh, Jenny Okamori is Kaye. Uh, yeah, uh, like I said, I got a pretty good chuckle out of the bit where like when. Uh, where, like, later was chastising like said for not feeling out of the board, so when he tries to claim he's not good at writing, uh, Kaya accidentally outs him, and that was pretty funny. I also also just like the image of her with, like, a loaf of bread stuffed in her mouth, it's just, like, staying in my head rent-free. That's, like, a pretty funny mental image. She's also the one that jokingly is like, oh, hey, if you're not that into Shin, I'm just gonna go crawl into bed, and I'm gonna snatch him up. Poor being Korea is suffering. Uh, you know uh, what? Yeah, that, yeah. I'll give, that poor girl has not a shot in hell. She doesn't have a shot in hell, but also she had major flag energy, and I'm just proud she made it out of the season. Mm. Yeah, so, 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 yeah, I like how she handled a lot of that. I also like, um, uh, her, how she handled the big moment where, like, Lana asks her if she hates the album for everything they've done. And you can tell through, like, Jenny's delivery that, well, you know, she does understand that they aren't all terrible people. Just like, you know, not all bird people are good. Uh, she does still, nevertheless, have some, has some very clear resentment and is just very clearly doing her best to try and hide it during that whole exchange and trying to let Lana down easy, like you guys were saying, and that came across pretty well. As I, and I and I really like their delivery where her response to that whole thing is just kind of trying to tell way that she's a little too idealistic for this job and uh and it doesn't help that they see after after that pretty much immediately proves they're right, so uh that's done. And then uh Alejandro as Daya. Uh he was definitely a pretty good horny dork. I got a pretty good chuckle out of the scene where like he and the guys were trying to peep on the girls and Oh, he insisted on stopping them while also being the one starting the hardest, and that was pretty funny. And, so, and, and, so, and I definitely didn't get a good talk out of his delivery when he's, like, trying to badly explain himself. That was pretty fun. And, uh, yeah, he had a pretty good amount of chemistry with Anju and Anju's actor, and I thought their whole dynamic was pretty fun. I do kind of wish things could have worked out for those kids, but unfortunately, this show was a little too bleak for that, and that made me sad. I, I've I've seen enough of these types of things that one of the pairs that you really, really want to make it, somebody's, somebody's gonna bite it. Uh. So, is that, uh, yeah, and uh, lastly, uh, Haruto was uh, Haruto was pretty fun. I did. So I did think he had a pretty good amount of chemistry with Daya, and I really liked how well he did busting his chops constantly, and that was a lot of fun. As I, so, uh, it does kind of suck that he couldn't make it quite to the end. I mean, he was almost there, but uh, yeah, that's he just missed the death march. Yeah, and uh, but also, hey, if if you voice Haruto Ke Haruto Keats in English, I would like to confirm who you are. Please send your message to the Dub Talk podcast, please. Thank you. Yeah, uh, that would be much appreciated. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, but anyway, I well, I liked all these characters, and I thought uh, everyone in this section did a pretty good job, uh, even if they didn't all have like the most meta material. Uh, so if that, uh, it is time to uh, move on to some of these supporting characters with more screen time. Uh, who unfortunately happen to be some of the Alba because, I mean, we all know who ends up surviving in these kinds of scenarios. The oppressors? I mean, I wasn't trying to explicitly say that, but basically. Uh, let's be real. Let's be real, Jerris. We are, like, <laughs> almost an hour into this recording. We are beyond the point of beating around the bush. Let's yeah, pretty be much. real here. As, 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 okay, I mean, yeah, okay, I mean, this is supposed to be the exactly where we would, where we are probably going to stop beating around the bush. Oh yeah. Especially with the, this is the section the where I don't think we can't avoid it because of one of the scenes in it. Oh yeah. About as, one of yeah, these characters. As, uh, as, I mean, I mean, there's a lot with like, I would, I would say all these characters, but mainly two of them. Uh, anyway. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, so we have those characters, and also Shin's brother, because uh, there wasn't really anywhere else I could put him. And, and he's, he's important. Putting... Yeah, it would have felt weird putting Oh, the other scene section. that almost made me fucking puke. Uh, so, uh, anyway, here we have Henrietta von Penrose, a.k.a. Annette, who is Lena's close friend, and, well, uh, there's there's gonna be some words about her. There will be words. Uh, oh, I have so many words about her. <laughs> Uh, we have we also have uh, Lev Aldrich who supervises the Spearhead Squad kids on the front lines and kind of wishes Shade would stop smashing his robot after every fight. He is the grumpy uncle that means so well. In more ways than one. Oh God. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Jerome Carlson who is a higher up in the Republic's military and a close friend of Lena. Fuck Lady this Lady guy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's and uh, yeah, there's gonna be a lot of words about this guy too. We can at least talk about the character. Yeah, and uh, lastly, we have Shiori Dozen, who is Shin's late older brother, who was drafted into the war before him, and saved Lena's life when she was little, before he ended up dying on the battlefield and becoming part of the Legion, making it Shin's mission to hunt him down and put him to rest. Not only does he become part of the Legion, he is a complete perfect brain, and because they've gotten a complete perfect brain... That means that he becomes a shepherd, meaning he is an actual for realsy human brain commander of this army of legion robots. And it's horrifying. Yeah. Oh, it is absolutely like your worst nightmare levels of shit. You have never di- you yeah. have, if you've for all of you who have ever disassociated hard, you probably Shorei Nozen has probably disassociated harder than most people. Um, there is... Oh, God. There is so much I want to say about... I hope you're all ready for... Megan actually is being very smart on the episode for once. Because I have a lot of things specifically to say about this section. So... Yep, uh, so, uh, anyway, uh, playing Annette, we have Morgan Loray, who has played such characters as Soul Marin in Black Clover, Nagi Kirima in Boogie Pop and Others, and Akaramado in the Tokyo Ghoul franchise. Thank you playing for remembering Wave, my we... waifu. Yep, uh, playing Lev, we have Imari Williams, who has played such characters 
as Elastic David and Reckon of Grand Cross Wars out of Berserk 2017. And of course, Whole Horse and Joseph's Bizarre Adventure Stardust Crusaders. Uh, playing Sherry, we have Rob Robbie David, who is in basically everything these days, but specifically has played such characters as Jim Boring out of high school, Shoya Ishida in a silent voice, and Mamoruchiba, aka Tetsuya Mask, and he did read on Sailor Moon. And as for Jerome, uh, once again, we were unable to actually confirm who plays him. Again, I'm pretty sure I do know who it is, but without any from official confirmation, we're just going to mention him in passing because he's a little too He's a little to too important entirely. to a lot of what 86 is trying to say to not talk about him. Uh, anyway, uh, this is why it's good to properly credit people, folks, so things like this don't happen. Do you guys want me to go first? Or do you want me to go last? Honestly, Megan, I think maybe maybe last for this one. Yeah, I have a lot of very specific things to say based off where I interned <laughs> in college. Uh, Abad, would you like to go first? Yeah, sure. Uh, these these are fine performances of mostly awful people for different varieties of awful. Let's start with Morgan. Uh, actually, before we get into her character, she, she turns into fine performance, but I want to note, I, I Morgan sticks out to me because she has a line that, when I was first watching this, ended up, not by accident, but it kind of sealed the exact kind of world this was, which I go into, it had been explained to me, you know, I've, se look, I've seen enough fiction about, like, you know, pretty glossy actual, like, this is what society presents itself as, and here's the awful thing it's actually sitting on top of, like, I knew there were war crimes, I kind of gathered that this nice sort of vaguely sort of retro-futuristic looking city, you know, bad things are gonna happen. So I knew that, but there's a bit where she's, we're first seeing her talk to Lena, or she's like, you wanna have some cake? It's got real milk and eggs in it, and I'm like, wait, 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 wait. You have horrible war crimes going on, and there's no real dairy? Oh, this place is fucked up. But, and that's <laughs> And that's so good! The no, show that, that's what's great about it, because, like, you know, the atrocities of war, you know, not not to belittle it in this context, but, like, that that's common. You can point to plenty of things that are well-made that talk about that topic. But having that kind of, like, horrible dystopia and also, like, oh, yeah, basic things that you can go get at the store are now rare commodities that are seen as valuable like no that's a sign of something much much worse going on behind the scenes and and i think the thing that really that really cements that they're doing this to themselves is that immediately when you you first meet the spearhead squadron they have chickens <laughs> look, they have fresh eggs look i'm gonna be very daily honest. I'll be very honest with you. I was half expecting at some point to find out that the Legion weren't an autonomous mass. They were just other Alba, like, drone piloting things to kill off the 86. Like, for a while, I thought that was going to be the twist. Honestly, I just wanted... There, there is no enemy. I just wanted to commend the whole milk and eggs line thing, because I love subtle world building that's not in your face, because they never said... Things in this world like milk and eggs and and things that were valuable in the old world are no longer of vast quantities anymore. They just drop casually. Hey, you want this? We got the real shit instead of that fake shit. And that's a level of like, oh, shit's fucked, actually. And they, and they never say it directly. They just throw it in as world building. And that's so good. 
this show and i imagine the light novel as well is very willing to trust that the audience will pick up on things if it just presents it reasonably and i appreciate that okay um anyways morgan henry i like how henrietta goes from being kind of like the fun friend to like oh you're awful you're a bad person she she starts i like how she starts out being very much kind of like the you know the fun friend for Lena up until you kind of find out her backstory. She, just to make sure I'm not getting this wrong. She is the friend who it turns out her dad was involved in like experimenting on the, the very same. Right. Good. Yeah. That whole scene was a lot just cause it, I felt like it did so much to crystallize her character in the context of like, Oh, your, your, all your talk about like Lena, you can't do anything. Isn't some sort of, uh, trying to get her to acknowledge that the system is bigger than her. This is to assuage your own guilt of your own direct involvement of this atrocity. Jesus Christ, woman, you're pathetic. And, like, prior to this now, she was the fun, <laughs> sassy friend who had a running gag about all the marriage partners she was having and how many bombs she was getting. God, I have so much to say about oh, that. Oh, I... <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Uh, I'm just gonna save it for me, because it's going to be... No, section. no, by all means, but, like, Hen Henry, like, she goes through a, like, your, your whole perception of her just gets turned upside down in that scene. I think in that scene in particular, Morgan just does a really good job, because she sells both... There's just a lot going on. There's her own frustration with Lena not letting go of this. There's her own... Uh, clearly, like, her own, like, residual guilt for her own behavior, which she's clearly not dealt with. Uh, like, she just, there's a lot of complicated emotion happening in that. I mean, that scene's only, like, what, five, six minutes, maybe? It, it's like, it's like a like, fourth of an episode. Like, it's not a very long scene, and she just packs a lot into all that, all the dialogue and speeches in there. Like, she, she does a very good job of taking a character who seemed, maybe not shallow, but, like, just, like, somebody who, like, you, you can you kind of feel like oh I know who this is like this is a very straightforward character type I've seen in plenty of stuff and something that's just way more warped and complicated in a way that I, I mean not uncomfortable is the word but like again going back to like I didn't know if I was expecting the show to be this good uh, it's just like this is a lot more complicated than I was expecting for like a war show based on a light novel, which brings a very specific image to mind, which is not what any of the show's been doing for the last like nine episodes. What if war, but also anime tropes and big boobies? Uh, oh yeah, that uh, <laughs> a little bit like well, like uh, let's uh, we, we can't talk about Jerome too much because we all know who is playing him but his perform his performance and behavior and how he's written reminded me of um i forget what the name is but i saw one of these like cute girls flying it was planes uh one of these like cute girls in war shows oh warlord sigafrida yeah, that one and, and I, well, I was thinking which about, we liked yes which we did like liked. i did like but I, I was thinking there on how like you know this is a show from the perspective of military people and how like the, the command is always like no we need to be good to our people we we don't want them to die how there's so much like trust in the troops on the ground and wanting them to be safe as opposed to jerome where it's like no we're actively committing genocide against these people because they are momentously embarrassing just existing if here. Like, we let found them out... live, we will be the bad guys. So exactly. they have to it's die like... so history doesn't remember that we're actually assholes. 
it, it Insert, is, are we the baddies here? It, it is easier on our egos to commit genocide than to acknowledge that maybe we did something awful. Which, yeah, he's... They also just, basically just casually dropped in that scene that the patron saint that they, our country is named after was basically Jesus Christ of Nazareth. What? They basically, they literally very casually talk about the fact that the, the Saint Magnolia was basically betrayed and killed for their own greed and avarice. And that's... I get, oh yeah, that is Jesus, isn't it? it yeah! It's Jesus! I, I, it felt more like Joan of Arc at the time, and now you mention it, it's like, yeah, no, that is, that is the broad strokes of the New Testament, isn't it? Wow. That shows a lot. Yep. Um... Let me see. Uh, who else? Uh, Imari does a very good job as Lev. I have a little less to, to say about him because he doesn't quite get the intensity that the other three characters get. But I like his performance. He does a good job. I just like I like the humanity he sells for Lev. You can tell Lev hurts, and I appreciate that. Uh, and <sighs> I. I'm, I'm quote-unquote used to hearing Robbie in kind of lighter stuff just because of the things I happen to have seen him in, but oh boy, does he have a role here. Jesus Christ. Uh, he does a very good job showing someone who has kind of lost their mind because of what's happened to them. In this case, their brain being scooped out and put in a robot. Uh, he's really good. He's really upsetting. I don't have a better way to articulate this. He's great, but he makes you feel bad. It's terrifying. Let's go with that. Shiori's entire storyline, it just like, like once you find out what's at, what like the actual deal is, like it starts bad and gets worse. And kudos to Robbie for being able to follow that ride to the end. But oh, oh boy. I can't get over that part where he's trying to kill his brother. That's like, oh, yeah, no, Jesus that fucking Christ, man. That fucked so hard. Is it, it, like, yeah. yeah. I thought it was even worse once you get, like, the full context for why he was even doing that. It's just, it's like, dude, I understand. Like, I get it. You're mad, but maybe not the person you should be taking it out on for a variety of reasons. What the fuck? It's like, oh, my God. The show is not really afraid to go there, which I... I appreciate you don't you don't often see that willingness in you know nominally popular fiction so uh and like Ravi oh boy oh this feels like a role that was draining to play I give I give Ravi a lot of credit for doing really good at it and what's worse is that it's a lot of a lot of it is done in very short spurts yeah I'm depressed yep let's oh. yep Oh, this is a bummer. Oh, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get some water, and uh, by all means, someone else can uh, take the reins from here because I think I'm, I think I'm cool. out of things to talk about. Cool. Uh, just like, uh, yep. These are great. These people are. Lev's, Lev's nice. The other two are horrible, or. Yeah, they're all kind of horrible. I would have a Sorry, drink guys. with Lev. The rest of Lev them, I would get a restraining order. I feel, I feel, I feel Lev's pain. I give Lev, Lev, Lev gets a lot more. I'm gonna go out. Amon, I have a question for you just to lighten the mood. Sure. Do you think 
that Lev would be a Steely Dan fan. Le- Le- Lev absolutely wants to drink scotch whiskey all night long and die behind the wheel for slightly different reasons than why a Steely Dan protagonist wants to do it, but absolutely, yes. Jesus fucking Christ. I was trying to lie. <laughs> Andrew, I like Steely Dan because half of their songs... You, you, you seen that meme that's like what people nihil- they think people think nihilism that's is? That's what the show what, is, uh, actually! Yeah, Steely Dan is absolutely that second image. Like, it's extremely well-produced music about deeply screwed-up, unhappy people. That's exactly that's so like yes, what 86 Le- is. It's what Le- the expectation versus reality of nihilism, and that's what Spearhead Squadron is! So, yes, to answer your question, Lev would absolutely rock out to Asia. <sighs> and probably get blackout drunk doing it. Okay. Oh, okay. All I feel is just the kids. Can you lighten up me <laughs> <laughs> with Marge yep. and then and then um, Bart and Lisa are glowing. Oh. I needed to bring some levity to this. Thank you. Oh. At at least our review was pretty glowing. Oh yeah. No, this is this is great. Anyways. All right. I'm on. Get some water. Someone else take the wheel. All right. Uh, Jarris, may I? Oh, yeah, sure, go Okay, so. Oh, Jesus Christ, I need a drink first, too. Um, I'll start with Lev. Um, I love this good, angry uncle who's tired of his kids breaking his shit because they're irresponsible and suicidal, but he loves the shit out of them anyways. Like, you could tell he's done this time and time again. But he's going to treat those kids the way they deserve to be treated. <clears throat> like kids. Genuine kids that are dealing with the trauma of war. And he, like, because that's the thing. It's like the kids are, like, ki- like for the final death rush, he gives them all candy. He, he splurges and he gets them all candy and snacks. Because they need something. And that keeps them going through the veil. Through the everything. And it's just... He's there for them in times of thick and thin. And he's willing to chastise them for being stupid when they don't have to be. And Imari's got this good level of, like, gruff sincerity and earnestness. That's charming, but also very real. He's got very good dad-uncle energy. And I love Imari's uh, tired, but sweet delivery playing left. I, lo- I really like what Jerome's actor is doing. He does some unbelievably fucked up things, including just the honest talking about the fact that we need to let the natives get genocided, otherwise it's going to turn out that we basically, um... We either, uh, concentration camp... We either concentration camp them, or we just we turn them into soldiers and let them die naturally. And the connotations of that fucking chilling. And then there's Henrietta, which I'm just gonna straight up say, I'm really fucking happy that Morgan Loray is in this. I think it's her first Bang Zoom Kelly anime dub, if I'm not mistaken. I was like, literally for a few weeks, I was thinking to myself, is that fucking Morgan Loray? It, it really sounds like Morgan. She sounds so familiar, but I can't place it. And then, like, that's 
That's fucking Morgan. I fucking heard Morgan. I've, I've seen enough Funimation anime to know her voice. And sure enough, it was her. And she's great as this kind of sassy little, like, I also think she's, like, really cute. Like, she, she does the lab coat and she's got the glasses. And I actually think, damn, no, she a cutie. And then you find out about everything else. So this is not a line that she says, but there is a line. I, I should have probably mention this when we we're talking about the uh, uh, the script section, but it, it's the most poignant thing to me that was said to Henrietta or Annette. Uh, I need to write it. I need to figure out because I wrote it down. Um, Stop pretending you're a bad person to justify doing nothing is one of the rawest fucking things I've heard in the show. And that's just one of the choice lines from the scene. That was something that was said to Henrietta, but I just... The line, stop pretending you're a bad person to justify doing nothing, is going to stick with me. Because that could be used in a lot of real situations. But, like, there's so many things that she says herself that, like, stuck with me. Because when she's talking about the fact that, like, she basically got it bullied because she was befriending, uh, in 86. She was befriending Shin. And her dad was basically... Her dad was basically trying to hide them. Like, almost like they hid, like, Jews in, uh, Nazi Germany. And she basically said no. She basically said, you shouldn't do that. That's a terrible idea. Because... He was looking for her support. He was looking for her support. And she just says, I think my dad was looking for my support. But instead, I gave him a way out. As in, he wanted me to back him up to save their lives. And I told him, it's okay to let them die. And there's also the other fun thing where she's talking about how angry she is at Lena for trying so hard. Where she's basically like, hey, if you slacked off and didn't care about them, they might have a chance to live. But now they're willingly staring down the barrel of a gun because you gave them a cause to die for. God, the delivery of, Lor of, of Morgan during that whole scene where she is angry and chastising and basically admonishing her guilt and trying to pretend I'm not guilty, it's not my fault, and I hate you for trying to try so hard. Oh, that entire scene killed me, and that's not even going to everything. I'll also say, I kind of la- I was a little amused at the horrifying scene that was Lena stop stopped being her friend and is like, you're my commanding officer. You're doing what I'm telling you because we're gonna go save your old friend Shin. And she's and she's describing the fact that she got close to Shin in an almost... I'm fucking your f childhood friend. What are you going to do about it, bitch? And TR. <laughs> the saddest, most upsetting NTR chant in the world. NTR. 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 Fuck. Morgan's really good. And... Oh god, there's still I still Oh god, I still have to talk about Ray. So, Robbie Damon. 
really getting to show off your Goro Akechi chops again, aren't you? Oh, it is the Goro Akechi voice. My fucking god. Oh my god, it's incredible. It's horrifying. It's unbelievably upsetting, heartbreaking, and... Holy shit, Robbie. Robbie, Robbie, Robbie. Fucking kills every scene as Ray. And broke my heart to the very, very end. Good on you, soldier. Jesus fucking Christ, I'm done. Okay. Jet, you want to go or you want to let me go finally? I, um, Jen, I, sure, I'm willing. Okay. I, hmm? I was going to say, I can't, yeah, Jet, Jet, you go. I, I'm going to go and get a drink too now. Jesus, my throat is raw. Okay. All right. <laughs> I said, okay, um, so I can start with Lev. Uh, yeah, I thought uh, Imari did a really good job of making him kind of sound like a very grumpy uncle who was, uh, 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 who was like clearly, uh, uh, who got angry at the kid, who got angry at those kids a lot, especially Shin, because, you know, he keeps smashing his robot on the battlefield, but he also does like very clearly care about them and he's kind of doing his best to look out for them. And like, and like I do say that whole thing where like he get like even gives them candy before they go out of the, the battlefield was like, that was a whole sweet thing. But I think like, the thing that really got to me was that like when that was that when Lena like finally arrives at the front lines and like he's talking with her, and then like Lev reveals his entire story that he, uh, that he himself is actually like part Alba and that uh, he's not part uh, Alba, and he's full Alba. Oh, so, oh, oh, yeah, that's right. He, he's a full Alba, and he, uh, his wife was in 86, and when she and his daughter were, like, sent to the front lines, he dyed his hair, and he dyed his hair and went to join them, and tried to support them as much as he could, but they still ended up dying on the battlefield. I think and, it was like, that he, when like, they got constricted to the battlefield, it's when they straight up came to take them out of their house in the inner walls, he dyed his hair and went with them, then let them get deported with yeah, him. Yeah, that's what happened. He said, yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah, that is what he said. And then, like, and I like the whole other thing where he mentioned that he asked, that, and that he asked Shin if, like, if there were any leads that were calling out for him. And, like, the relief he felt when, when Shin told him that no, there wasn't anyone like that. And it's just like, yeah, that's gotta be, like, really devastating. But also, like, yeah, that's a lot. And I thought that Ibar did a really good job of handling all that. Uh, sorry, uh, sorry, Jerome and Jerome's actor, I thought Jerome's actor did a really good job of handling, uh, this very, uh, this very unpleasant character who, uh, who this week comes off as, like, kind of, if not necessarily well-intentioned, he is at least, like, clearly trying to look out for Lena, at least, and is kind of willing to be, like, straight with, like, is kind of willing to be straight with her, like, for his awful... Like for as awful as he is, I thought he did. I thought he did have a point where he was like talking with Lena about her father, and how and how her father, and how her father was well intentioned, but ultimately, like he, but ultimately he was kind of discriminating his own way because uh, he, while he was willing to let Lena go on to the battlefield to like see firsthand what was happening, the fact that he would like let a little girl walk to the battlefield at all kind of meant that in his own mind, he. Kind of about that in his own mind, he figured, like, well, we'll leave the 86 on the battlefield. 
And it's like, yeah, that's a really kind of raw thing to say out loud. He underestimated the severity really, of war. Yeah, that is a really solid point, and I thought that Jordan Actor did a really good job of, like, getting that across, and then, of course, like, the whole scene where, like, Lane is, like, pleading with him to do something, and he, like, revealed the whole horror stream of how, like, the Republic just wants to, uh, basically go full the cleansing with this whole thing, and it's just, uh... Really horrifying, and Jerome uh, Vector does a really good job of getting across the hypocrisy of the whole situation really well, and extremely it's extremely unpleasant, and the character is extremely unpleasant, but uh, the delivery there is really good, and uh, that was a really hard scene that was delivered well. Uh, as I add, uh, Robbie Damon as Joe Ray, uh, he did a really good job here. Yeah, it did remind me a little bit of his uh, Goro Akechi performance, but uh, it's definitely a lot more on the serious side. I did like the contrast between, like, how he was, you know, uh, when Lena first met him as a child, where he comes up as, like, a pretty, uh, as, like, a pretty chill and kind of honorable dude. He, that's how, uh, he looks out, uh, he kind of looks out for her like a big brother in his own way and kind of, and kind of, like, talking to her about, you know, his whole... Um, how he has a little brother that he's been fighting for and kind of, like, wanting to see them again. And it's like, it's, and it's really, and it comes off as really fun and sweet, and then, you know, you find out the whole awful truth of, like, why he's separated from Shin, and, like, man, that whole scene of him, like, literally joking little Shin was really devastating, and Robbie did a really good job of just saying how, like, manic that whole scene was. And his, and his delivery there is just, like, really haunting. And then it gets even worse when, again, again, we find out the room of, like, exactly why he was doing it and how just, like, broken Rob... And, and the contrast between, like, Robbie losing his marbles and his internal monologue of, like, wait, why am I doing this? This is my little brother. I shouldn't be doing this. And it's just, like, the disassociation there is just, like, really devastating, and Robbie delivered it so well. And, so, and, so, and, so, and, then, like, and then, of course, like, this, and then, of course, you know, when he and Jen are actually, like, are actually duking it out, and he, uh, and he, uh, kind of, and he tries to, like, protect Jen from, uh, Lena's cover fire, which was, uh, kind of interesting. And, so, and him trying to, like, I guess in his own way, make up for what he did. And, so, and, and it was kind of, well, if not sweet, it was very tragic, and I thought that Robbie sold the tried to do that whole thing really well and uh yeah that was great he wanted to embrace him one last time with his goopy t1000 alloy metal arms thank yeah. you andrew you're welcome yeah and yeah and then lastly uh morgan Lurie as annette uh, uh she did a really good job of uh bouncing off of latest actor really well they had some pretty good banter as I said, a lot of early, a lot of the early scenes where that is just like, you know, constantly ranting about all her marriage partners and that whole thing was kind of funny. And uh, Morgan did a really good job of playing Annette in the early parts of the story in a way where she tried to act like a total, like a very concerned friend towards her. And while also just showing a lot of apathy towards the 86 and trying to convince Elena that she's, you know, better off not worrying herself over them and just kind of trying to live her own life. Like... Like she, like she sucks, but she sucks, but she at least seems like somewhat well intentioned. And then the mask, and then the mask finally breaks, and we find out she really sucks. 
And she isn't just apathetic towards the 86, but was so unwilling to own up to her own capacity for bigotry that she basically wants and aided in atrocities. And it's kind of this spies waiting this whole time for a righteous attitude and like Man, Morgan's delivery there was like really fantastic. Like, and that is honestly just kind of a very miserable, pathetic sort of person, and that sort of thing can be really, really hard to portray well, but Morgan did a really fantastic job of just kind of selling how empty she was when the mass finally breaks and that and that spells out like all the horrible things she's done and like her weird kind of half justifications for everything and how much she resents Lena for trying to do the right thing and it's just like that whole yeah, that whole scene was really yeah, that whole scene was really messed up and Morgan did a really good job of selling it and did a really and did an equally great job of just kind of like <laughs> of kind of you know telling me horror. When, it's like when Lena comes back and like reveals that she's acquainted with Sin, and Morgan and like Andy greet, and you can clearly just hear the guilt creeping back in and Morgan's performance, and that whole thing was really good. So like, yeah, all these performances were really good, and Morgan especially did a really good job of portraying a very awful person. So, uh, Megan, the floor is yours. It's time. So, just to talk about the performances for this scene, uh, I do need to just be very aware, very frank, that if the political talk you thought was a little heavy now, it's about to get a lot heavier. And if that's uncomfortable for you, you might want to skip to the next section. Uh, so I'm going to talk about Shin at, uh, not Shin, uh, Ray and Ray first because he is a lot of what I'm going to talk about falls on characters like Henrietta Lev and Jerome more than Shorey and M Robbie's performance is absolutely bone chilling there is a sense of both immense kindness and heart that has to be immediately ripped away for unhinged extrasensual terror and fear. And that is because like, we know that Rey is much older than Shin, so he was not a child soldier. He was in some capacity an adult who knew the life before the war. And my thought of why he snapped is because you do find out that Shin and Rei and their family might have a power to hear the voices of others. And I think that in that mind, I think in that scene where he's saying it's all Shin's fault for everything, that Shin should have never been born, this wouldn't have happened. I think that was Ray's way of justifying to himself and out loud a reason that he might have been choking him in that snap point. And that's because in their hand is likely their mother's notification of death. Meaning that now it's going to be Ray's turn 
to go out and fight the quote-unquote good fight. That he is going to go on this death march. And maybe in that scene of snapping, choking out Shin to death would have prevented him from ever having to feel and experience the horror that he knew was coming. But obviously Shin survives and he has the scar. And I wonder if, because obviously Ray meets Lena after this. Does Ray keep that chocolate and save Lena because he truly believes in the quote unquote ideals of the Republic? Or is it more in this moment, oh my god, that's my younger brother, I can atone for this in some way. And Robbie's performance, I think, carries that through. And like I said, when Amon was speaking, a lot of Robbie's performance as Ray comes not in long scenes where you sit and get to know him like you do characters like Daya, Kaye, Leka, Kujo, and, and the, the, the Daya and those characters. You know him only from the memories of children forced to grow up too fast. And only as an assimilated part of a monstrous unfaced legion who when that they have before they have that fight, you hear the legion version of of Ray who has been fucked and bastardized by this faceless enemy to face a fate beyond what beyond the cruel fate that the Republic has given him in that you have to keep fighting an eternal war against the people who have used you as nothing but a meat shield. That he wants to reunite with Shin in a body that won't be fragile anymore. And that is some pretty scary fucking shit. And Robbie scared the piss out of me. And that's a compliment. Because I don't think a lot of actors would know how to handle getting to do that. And Robbie did it so well. And now I get to transport into a segment of talking about things that is about to be very harsh. And I want to give everybody who doesn't know a heads up. My last year of college, I spent uh, interning at the Florida Holocaust Museum. Uh, I was it, I was compiling data from them and I worked with another student of mine who is now an entertainment lawyer. She was down in the vault. I was upstairs. Oh, wow. But ev- yeah, but every day I would go every couple of days i would drive out an hour and go into a museum with artifacts including a boxcar that carried jewish people to their deaths and that was just downstairs for me uh but one of the things that they actively talked about and i i think that should actively be talked about more is not only were the people in the the ss uniforms your mangles your your nazi soldiers a big part of the atrocities of the Holocaust that happened, it was also the people that did nothing or that stood by and just watched the world go on. And to me, you have three different people who, a person who took it upon themselves to to do an honorable thing and two fucking cowards. And Imari Williams' performance as Lev works because you get to you think that like all of the rest of the kids that he is another one of them and like it doesn't click for you at first 
why a person would be that old working at that station. Because you would think that because of when they reveal that all of the kids are there, not because they're about to get out of service, but because this is their way of destroying them so that they don't come back in because it's revealed that they trick, they trick these people that they've subhumanized that yes, you can rejoin our society after five years, which is a whole other thing I'll talk about in the next section. But you don't put it in your head that, wait a minute, this guy is clearly an adult. And why is he still alive? You would think that there would be teenage mechanics putting together these juggernauts based on the scraps that they get. And the fact of it is, is it doesn't hit you until Lena comes to the base and you get Imari's wonderful performance of talking about how he is a broken man who sees himself as the coward. That he could not protect his wife and child. That if he could and he heard the Legion had their voices, he would immediately commit suicide to become a Legion. Just to be with them. And that because, and that honestly, Shin might have given him both a blessing and a curse by saying their voices aren't out there. And that you can hear the breaking solace in Amari's performance as Lev, that when he eventually dies, he knows that in some way that he can see his wife and daughter again after death. And of all of these Alba in this, sec in this section, he is by far the most noble one. He willingly gave up a, cis a place that he would have privilege and power to be with the ones he loved. He just probably couldn't fake getting into the war because one of the things that they would have immediately done is they would have made him take his glasses off for the picture that they take of all of them. Which are not pictures of like, hey, it's my first day of school. They are more akin to prisoner photos. They would have found out that he was an Alba based off his eyes because he dyed his hair. And then you get a character like Jerome who I think you can tell the series makes him out to be like the, oh, Lena, you're so crazy, but you know that we have to like kind of do this. And you slowly see as... As she keeps persisting to get more people and supplies, that he has grown tired of her acting and trying to be against the system that's probably keeping him in power. Because Lord knows if the world found out or if the other people in San or maybe younger people in the Republic found out what they were really doing, they would turn on the people who were in power through the military-industrial complex. Well, he would be tried and hung for sure. Oh, yeah, he... That's some... That is some straight-up the hog shit. Um, and his actor does a good job, and in that scene where he finally tells Lena what their intentions are, because it's the difference in a sense of I guess in a way of having Americans who of Japanese Americans put into internment camps in the U.S. or the difference between that, where yes, the U.S. did that, but those people were eventually let out, and people to this day, uh, most notably George Takei, 
will speak out about this is a horrific thing people Americans did or like residential schools for Native Americans or do you final solution these people so that you silence out an entire race at once because pe- and hope that you win this war so that no one will question what you fucking did and their final solution is not to line up the 86 and put them in a gas chamber it's to trick them into fighting a, a legion of faceless machines that they will never win against and that if they keep believing that they the war will end in two years because they believe in their shitty fantasy that nothing bad will happen while the bodies of the people the bodies of children line the guard line everything outside of their pretty little garden and then to get to to Annette Annette is by far a very very good addition and I'm glad that they did what they did for her character and to explain why those scenes where Morgan has to it's less of the mask breaking and it's more of her tossing it off to me in a sense of frustration because she and like Andrew said the delivery of you pretend to be a bad person so you can get away with doing nothing really stands out about her performance because it's not that Henrietta's doing nothing. It's that Henrietta has done something to assuage the guilt that she has for throwing Shin under the bus and to pick up the sins of her father. Because that scene and how chilling it is also reveals that the parade was based off of the ability of Shin. And that her father, whether it be by the gun of her state or him justifying this as I can save these kids if I kill a few in the way, they blew those, they, they did that to children. They, it's, it's said early on that the pressure that the parade puts onto the brain of the user if they share optical senses will just make their brains explode. And it's judging by how Henrietta's father was and that how she and Lena are essentially very smart children in themselves. Henrietta had Henrietta was less used her father's suicide as a way to probably assuage her own guilt. And she Morgan has to portray that as a thing that Henrietta lives with and how in her mind, Lena keeps digging. It's like Lena keeps stabbing her with a salted knife and twisting very slowly. She acts as if being talking to the 86 is like go talking to the squadron. I don't want to call him 86. Talking to the squadron is as normal as going into the hallway of your high school and chatting for the day. And Henrietta's rawness and Morgan's rawness at that scene, especially when she kind of acts like that weird kind of cool science kid who's a little aloof and haha, it's so funny that she keeps drawing marriage proposals from fat older dudes and five-year-old children for money. Like, it hits. And it hits because Lena was more than just a bystander. It wasn't that 
oh no, our neighbors are, are suddenly gone to that internment camp. Guess they're gone forever. I wonder what happened to them. She basically thran... It's basically the equivalency of throwing Anne Frank to the Nazis. Yeah. She... That's it. She threw Shin's family to the wolves. And her father is as much of a guilty party in that by using his child's justification and shit because oh she got bullied for being friends with an 86 that's bullshit you're a fucking grown adult you don't need to hide behind your kid to be a good person like fuck fuck Henrietta's dad like he could have done a noble thing like Lev would that have probably gotten them thrown out into the district with them? Yes. But it would have been the right thing to do. But in their mind, the justification was probably it's easier and I'll have a better life if I do the don't do the easy. I do the easy thing, not the hard thing. And Morgan's performance carries that very through and I think that is what makes this dub and in a whole this show so good is that Erza's directing and Chris's writing made it so that these actors could get this so rawly across and yet it still has the composure and poise of a of a masterclass dub. And with that I, I think I've gone on a little too long, so uh, I'm good to move to the next section. Oh, oh, oh no, that, that was very well said. No, no, that was that was great, man. Let's oh! t- take a breather, take a water break. Uh, so, uh, at any rate, it is time to get into our central cast members, starting with some of the major members of the Spearhead Squadron who survived. The ones who got uh, out. Specifically, and uh, yeah, the ones who get to go on a fun little march for the last two episodes. Uh, so, specifically, we have Raiden Shuga, Anjo Emma, uh, Karina Kukumila, and... Theodo Rika, a.k.a. Theo. Uh, Ryan is kind of the big brother of the team. It just sort of comes off as a bro. Uh, Aju is kind of the big sister of the group and uh, has and kind of has a thing with Daya that, as we already established, uh, ended pretty badly. Uh, Kurna is uh, basically the closest thing this show has to our resident gremlin, at least for this season. And is a... Uh, not so secretly thirsty for Shin, and uh, lastly, Theo is kind of the smart math member of the group, and kind of has the uh, clearest dislike of Lena starting out for um, slightly As, immature, but for, also uh, fair very, reasons. Yeah, pretty much. Ah, oh, my favorite part of the show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so playing right in, we have Jonah Scott, who has played such characters as. Sniper Mask in the High Rise Invasion, Joe is KT Infinity, and the Great Furry himself playing Good Chief from B-Stars. Uh, playing Kaji, we have Maureen Price, who has plays his characters as Massa with Souls at Work, Bioe and Bami in Kakagurui Season 2, and Mizuki Shido in Gundam Build Divers Pre-Rise. Akurina uh, is played by Erica Mendez, and I mean, look, I really can tell you what Erica Mendez has done at this point. Like, that woman's it's Bernie at is- war, again. Yeah, I mean, that woman's resume across the last decade is so extensive, it's unlikely you haven't heard anything in the last few years. But just to humor us, just give us at least a few. 
Yeah, uh, Brad specifically sees playsets characters as Don Freaks and Hunter Hunter 2011, Bradsko and Agratsko, and uh, Justice Winston up slightly, Akko and Lillard's Academia. Uh, lastly, Theo is played by Casey Mongilo, who plays as characters as Shiro Suzuki and Bob Zaka 100, the younger version of Jin, Kanzaki, and Zetman, and Shinji Kari and Ikaradub of Neon Genesis Evangelion. And also, just just because I want to see if I can remember this by memory, um, I think I remember all their call signs off the, off the top of my head. Uh, Raiden is uh, Werewolf, uh, Anju is Snow Witch, uh, Karena is Gunslinger, and Theo is Laughing Fox. Yes. I, I, I was not 100% on Raiden, but I had to double-check that one, but the rest I, I remembered. These are good kids. I love these children. I want them to stop hurting. What the... Mm, I don't know about that. I know they're not going to stop hurting, and the hurting's never going to stop, and it's never going to go away, and that trauma is going to stay with them till the day they die. You do, do you know how All Quiet on the Western Front ends? Everybody dies. But yeah, the lead character dies. That's that's how the book ends. He dies on a quiet day on the Western Front. Mm. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's also chilling that that was the book that uh, Lena found the message and pictures in. You know what, sidebar, I'm gonna give this show credit for invoking classic literature and it not coming off as gimmicky and stupid. That mm. happens a lot, and they pulled it off, so good for them. But yeah, I guess yeah, I honestly, yeah, if if this was officially a one-off, all of these characters would not have seen the light of day again. Cause because that was the thing about this, is that this was originally a one-off. This whole season is one book. Uh, oh, sh- sh- sorry. Sh- sh- I-, I know I just kind of forcefully took the reins of this one. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was just going to let you get it. Okay, cool, 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 cool. I'm honestly kind of proud of you, Jet, that you had restraint and you didn't mention the fact that Maureen was the administrator in Sword Art Online Alcization. No water voting, you little bitch! Okay, I mean, I saw that, but I—I I mean, I saw that in like her list of credits, but I also haven't seen Alicization. Okay, so, like, so yeah. I, I thought you didn't mention that because it might be inappropriate. I'm just mentioning that because that is legitimately the most familiar I am with Maureen's resume, where she is basically a very sexy, very evil, very naked final boss. Don't mo- for no motor voting, you little bitch. Ah, uh, Sword Art Online bloopers, uh, the gift that keeps on giving. Um, so. That's my favorite one. I'll start with Anju, because uh, Anju is very sweet and lo- lovely. It's also very clear that there's a lot of history for everybody. Everybody's got got different races, different nationalities, where they come from. It's very clear that Anju has Alba blood. Possibly, it's not clear what her deal is. I'm going to assume at least some sort of mistress, baby. But there's also some fucking um something burned into her back and it's not yet clear what the fuck's on her back and i'm sure whatever it is it's going to be very upsetting 
Also, God, she's so sweet and so cute, and her relationship with Dai is so great, and God. No, but Maureen uh, is delightful as uh, the Snow Witch. Um, she's very sweet, but she's also kind of a badass when she needs to be, and she's willing to speak her mind out and be honest when she has to. But I think she's definitely, like, the most low-key one of the group. And then there's Karina, which... God, no, Megan already fucking said it. Uh, that is just... That is just baby Bernie... But instead of anxiety, what if baby Bernie was the Emoto, the little sister, the childhood friend that has no chance in hell? That's that's what her deal is. They also very casually mentioned the fact that, like, the fact that she is so childish and, like, adorable and sweet... And they just very casually dropped that, oh yeah, she probably knows, like, the most cruelty of what the Alba people can do to you. And it's like, oh, there's there's a story there, too. Oh. Yeah, I think they said, like, her parents got, like, gunned down in front of her. Did so, they? Uh, yeah. I'm pretty Is that sure that's what they said? said? I just thought they said, like, oh no, she's seen the worst of it. Oh god, fuck. Oh, that's very possible. Oh, Jesus. That doesn't surprise me, but oh, that's upsetting. Probably what she is. Is she the youngest of all of them, too? I wouldn't. I'm she has sure, very yeah. young energy, but it's very clear that, like, all the girls basically bust her balls and that she is very adorable with her relationship with Shin. Like, the fact that, uh, uh, Kaye is basically like, oh, okay, if you're not interested with Shin, I'm gonna, mm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work my Eastern magic. It's like, no! No, you gotta, you can't, you can't rush into that. And then they're all like, "Oh, you're so cute, Karina." And then the the thing that kills me is like she gets very frustrated at. I think it's fascinating in that any other show, you feel like she would have been unjustifiably um, jealous of Lena for stealing Shun's affection, but her justification is, "Oh no." She is one of the oppressors that's trying to be a benevolent saint to you without proving herself. You have every right to be upset. And then there's also the whole montage uh, where the whole thing with Fido is her basically having her little fangirl moments and basically using Fido as like a personal diary. It's like, oh my god, he, he caught me? He, he, he touched me with his arms? It was so intimate? And then he basically, she basically tripped and he basically grabbed her like a little kitten by, by like the cuff of her neck. And then like all the fan fangirling and then just her kind of distraught one day, kind of broken, upset, and like, what? What can I do to help him? What can I do to save him? I don't know. And it's like, oh, Jesus. Oh, sweetie. But no, Erica is delightful and heartbreaking. And then there's uh, Raiden Shuga, which I love. Big brother tough guy Jonah Scott. He is wonderful. He is delightful. His chemistry with Shun is honestly some of my favorite in the whole show. And I think that he has, like, some of the most fun, like, banter among some of the other characters. But I think, like, we talked about it, we, we talked about it briefly earlier. Uh, one of my favorite things, actually, oh, also I'll mention the fact that I love his relationship with uh, Lena eventually becomes, like, a level of, like, teasing big brother almost. 
where he's like, are you a fucking idiot? You just launched a bunch of mortars? It's like, you you could have fucking blinded yourself and all that. And her reaction is just... I, I, I know we should mention this for Elena. My favorite reaction in the whole show is that he's chastising her and yelling at her for being reckless and violent and nearly, like, suicidal for her own health. And she just shouts, who gives a shit? And that's, like, the most raw, it's like, oh, fuck thing. And he remarks about it after a battle. It's like, oh. Oh, I guess you you suddenly became a bad girl. That's pretty cool. And I'm like, oh. That was, that was pretty funny, but... No, no, no. My absolute, my absolute favorite thing that uh, he says is the whole speech about choosing where and how you're going to die. I, I'm going to find the exact, the exact line that stuck with me. I'm going to find it. Hang on. I wrote it down. My favorite line about the whole thing when they're breaking the news to her that they are all a suicide squad, quite literally. And they're talking about... Everybody knows when the day is going to come when you're going to get hung. It's like, e the thing that he says, even if you know you're going to the gallows, you can still choose how you're going to climb up there. And that's fucking raw and real where it's like, Raiden has accepted that he is a dead man walking. But he has now chosen... How he's going to face death. He is not going to face it with being a coward or starting an uprising. He's going to face it head on. He's going to die the way he wants to die. With his friends and comrades at his side. And he's going to die knowing that he lived. And that's fucking raw. And Jonah is fantastic. He gets every part of Raiden across. The sort of casual, lackadaisical big brother, the kind of doofy romantic... He's sort of the little secret romantic that, like, everybody teases him because you wouldn't expect it from him. And he's genuinely probably, like, the most emotionally supportive person Shun has in his life that's not Lena up to that point. He's the one that recognizes something is wrong, where he's like, you fulfilled your purpose. I think he's gonna kill himself. He doesn't have anything left to fight for. I think he's kind of just working on autopilot and trying to die. And he recognizes that, and God, uh, Raiden is just a good bro. And I adore, I adore uh, Jonah's delivery, his sweetness, and his kindness. And I think he's a, he's a fantastic fit. Casey Modulo as Theo. The best performance in the dub of 86. Bar none. That is a tall order. That is a hard thing for me to say, but the more I thought about it, episode fucking three. When they lost Kaye. And Theo chastises, uh, chastises Leah, Lena. I can't, I can't even really get the whole fucking thing across. Just, 
it was some of the most visceral, raw, hard to listen to, but goes fucking hard. Where it's like, how fucking dare you? You're sorry? We just lost our fucking friend? The war, in a war that your fucking people have put us through and you're sorry? You preach to us about goodness and kindness and how you're better than them. You fucking bitch. You didn't even ask us our names like we're people. You didn't, you tried to play our friend and you didn't even want to know who we are outside of this war. How fucking dare you? And it's some of the most raw, visceral, hard to hear thing I've ever heard. And it's chilling and it's incredible. And outside of that, just Casey is fucking perfect. Fucking impressive, immaculate. Holy shit. Casey nails Theo Ricca. Everything about him. Just incredible. Fucking blew me away. Stand out. Stole the show. Goddamn. Good job, Casey. You fucking did it. Can I go next? Oh, sure. Go ahead. Are you done, Andrew? Yeah. Okay, cool. So I'll start with uh, Maureen and Erica. Because I did like their performance a lot. I would say that, to me, though... I'll start with Erica. To me, Kareha came off as incredibly easy to pity because not only was she childish and and stuff I, I mean she's incredibly easy to pity but she's also probably the one who I think actually crossed the line in terms of how they treated Lena back and that is we've known from the first I think they went through that particular squadron had gone through, like, what? Five commanders? Uh, they had gone through five handlers. Five handlers before One of which Lena. was Bill Butts. Unrelated. Um, but there's a scene between her and Daya. And Erica gets across what is a child... A child's frustration. But for not a very childish thing, because the the Spearhead Squadron is never afforded the privilege of chi- of childhood. And that is, she talks to Daya about wanting Shin to break Lena already, because she's romantically jealous. And Daya just goes, that's fucked up, basically. And you realize that that she's not a she is like that stuck with me. And I thought Erica's performance of that was absolutely heartbreaking. And the other thing that heartbroke me is when they find the school. Because I think they imply that Karina never went to school. That the, the the act that exiled them all into being subhuman happened before that she was ever afforded that chance. And how absolutely cute and adorable it is to hear all of them being in the classroom 
but you can tell by the way that Jonah, Maurice, and Billy- Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> whoops, cut that out. Sorry. That you can tell by Casey, Jonah, Maureen, and Shin's actors' performances that, oh, she doesn't know what this is. She's never had this. And I love when they're they're breaking up the chairs and the books for firewood. And she's like, so was this part of a thing you did at school? And Casey's delivery, yeah, the smashing chairs test. I did I, oh god, Where I didn't even like, I didn't even pick up on the fact that it's like, oh yeah, no, she never went to school. They did. They they went to school for some time. Or even if it was a little bit, and just how Theo looks at the book that just is full of kanji practice that just says good job and I thought it was so Erica had this level of saccharine sweetness mixed with a, an ability to pull immense pity for Karina and Maureen also does that too with Anju like let's be real raise your hand if you cried when you saw her in the shower letting letting it out finally that she was upset that Daya died because Daya it from what i understand that mark on her back might be something about in a sexual nature about her it wouldn't and, surprise me and the fact that Daya found her to be beautiful among all just it breaks my heart and i only really know maureen as the overt overtly sexual administrator like i thought her performance as administrator is great but let's be real that sword art online and sword art online doesn't know how to write a villain that isn't overtly horny for a bad reason um her performance is very it is both soft and warm but also that of somebody who's probably been thrust into being the big sister before it was her time and she she gets that and that also doubles for jonah as write-in like normally i would complain about an old uh, a teenage character sounding older but jonah this is absolutely i think one of his best career performances he nails write-ins kind of easygoing nature the the warmth to shin's essential cold he is, he, they are blood brothers in a sense. Mm. And you really get that. And I think the thing that really, and Jonah's speech about how you can, you choose your way to walk up to the gallows is just, his delivery is both warm and sobering. Where it's just very matter of fact for him. That in Raiden's mind, it's like, well, I might as well let the cat out of the bag. It's terminal. We're all here to die. There is nothing you can do, but we are going to choose our way to go out. And it reminds me of something that I'm going to talk about towards the end of the episode, because I'm pretty sure Amon has a dusty old song for this. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to talk about a movie that is very dark and very bleak at the end of this, and it's not... You might know what it is. I know what it is because I had to watch it for college, but I'll see if you know what it is when it comes up. Alright. It... And right in speech, and when Andrew was talking about it, it clicked in my mind. It's like, oh, this reminds me of the final scene of this movie, where a character is walked 
uh, where this character's fate is to be hung to death, and that is where the movie ends. Um, but for me, if you if you haven't seen my Twitter avatar as of the time of this recording, uh, Theo is my favorite character, and Casey's performance is also my personal favorite in the mo- in the show. Uh, I love Theo's character because I think on on some level Theo's personality is something along the lines of my personality, where I I tend I'm the one who's very much the first person to lash out and I'm also the first person to ju- try to use others to justify my actions like Theo did because one of the things that stands out to me not only in how raw Theo's speech is because it, he does have a point is that later on in the next episode he asks Shin if that is what his commander would do because Theo's first commander was an Alba who went with the 86 to fight and, and he's like, yeah, that would be... And the way that Casey tries to very much hold it together while thinking about it, and Shin's like, no, they would have never done that. And and the realization that Theo has and that Casey puts out going, I'm so sorry, I'm not. I'm just like them. I'd use your death to justify my own actions. I believe the phrasing was, I tainted your death like them. Your I'm death. like, oh, fuck, that's raw. And that's so fucking harsh and I don't want to speak for Casey because I do not know them personally. I do wonder if Theo's speech at the end of episode 3 comes from a place deep down because Casey is another, is a person in a marginalized group. Like, and, and Casey has been open before that they have been, they were at one point denied work from a major studio because, quote-unquote, I sounded too gay. But, man, if if by the time the dubbies come out and Theo somehow isn't in my best supporting actor performance uh, for drama, uh, you're all personally uh, welcome to fly down to Florida and beat me like I'm a pinata full of fat. That... Uh, I'll I'll just send you a strong I'll, I'll send you a disappointed head nodding gif. How's that? I want a full video of you disappointed head nodding with me as you pet the cat Ash. I'll okay. I'll just say my cat Ash is very disappointed <laughs> because me being disappointed is one thing. Disappointing the boy, it's like oh how could you? Look at the. Also, it's really funny if anybody asks. My cat is on the bed right now behind me. <laughs> Hi, Shinya. And Shinya looks like the cat in the show. I love that there's like 20 names for him. I like Whitey the best. I think that one's funny because it's... I still love my favorite thing is when they all come over the, the parade yelling what the cat's name is. And it's like the most genuinely childish thing you've ever heard. And everybody's life. mad at like, hey, Shun doesn't even take care of him, but it likes Shun the best. They're, they're all jealous. <laughs> it's like you're... Shin, it's like Shin's like that begrudging dad of we're not getting the dog. And the then, dog like, loves him the a most. A week later, there's a, no, then there's a picture a week later of dad on the couch with the dog on him. Yep. Anyway, I'm done with this section. Also, hi, Shin. You want to say hi to the microphone? See, see no? now I'm just, now I'm just imagining the fucking Brooklyn Nine-Nine thing where it's just Shun's just got, where it's like, I, I, I've, uh, what, hang on. I, I need to make. Don't fuck this up for no, us. No, <laughs> hang on, hang on. Not, not even, no, that's not even the one I'm looking at. No, hang on. It's, 
Hang That's the only Brooklyn Nine Nine dog thing that I know is is the don't. Hang fuck on, this I up need to us. I need to find the name of the author because I need because I remember Shun Shun names the cat after the name of the author of the book he's currently reading. So, which is all acquired. All right, on the so it's Eric Maria Remer so I'm just imagining the Brooklyn Nine-Nine meme where it's like, I've only had Reamer K for a day and a half, and if anything happened to him, I'd kill everybody else in this room and then myself. That's yep. canon. Oh my god. The <laughs> ship. Remark, uh, re so, uh, Andrew. Um, yep. Oh, Remark? Is that how you say it, Remark? I think on. so, yeah. Okay, thank you. I, I, He's German, not French. Okay, I thought it was. It looked French. Thank you. Hon hon hon! I have to tower baguette. Uh, or in so, case it's uh, German, would you like to go? What would be the German equivalent to hon hon hon? I have to tower uh, baguette. Uh, ha ha ha! Uh, I, believe, I believe the stereotypical German food is usually sauerkraut. I was gonna say uh, Wiener Schnitzel. Or that? Because because it's because. Let's face it. We all need a laugh. We need to we need to giggle at the phrase Wiener. <laughs> Do you want me to go next? Yes. Alright. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know what to add, to be honest. You two have pretty gone over this pretty thoroughly. Uh, yeah, these are good performances. Uh, Erica is cute in a really sad way. Uh, it's just very heartbreaking. Uh, Maureen... Uh, a big sister, I feel like, does feel like the good descriptor. Like, she, she very much feels like, you know... She's uh, she's stepped into that role because somebody has to. Um, Jonas uh, jo Jonas feels he's very. Uh, you can see why like he has the place he does in the squadron. Like he very much feels like the rock people rely on because he can do that. And again, they need somebody. Uh, and I and I agree. I think that that speech Casey gives at the end of episode three is. Really, that's really excellent. That's some of the best acting in the whole show. They're 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 very exceptional. I feel like this is the first thing I've seen Casey in that I I at least know while I'm watching is Casey. That has been like, wow, Casey's a really really good actor. I should watch more stuff they're in. Clearly, uh, I don't know if I have much to add. To be honest, you guys can cover. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so sorry. There's a lot of. That's fine. Like I agree, they're good. You get you can get first dibs on our maids. Yeah, sorry. That's, that's how how dare you make insightful opinions? I agree with. Oh, shame on you. <laughs> uh, you're, you are such. You are okay. You know what? I'm gonna say this. You are you are the Raiden of dub talk, in my opinion. Just the cool big bro. I don't know about that. But it's very flattering. No, you're pretty fucking awesome. It's flattering you think that, though. You, you don't quite have the teen go-on hairstyle going for you, but uh, you, you got you got the cool... You give, me, you give me enough hair gel, I could probably fake it. It's a lot of hair. Which I didn't want to say. Like, God, <laughs> I'm looking at Raiden right now, and I'm remembering... He looks like fucking Ultimate Mystic Gohan, and I kind of love it. That's a deep <laughs> cut, I'm going to assume. <laughs> He looks like cool older Gohan, not a uh, book smart older Gohan. Oh, so the Gohan that we actually want, that Toriyama won't give us. Pretty much. Pretty, 
tea much. Uh, 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 yeah, literally, like literally the point right before he had the raids back over the cuckoo. Also, legit. Oh, speaking of raids, like I, I love. I think like there was a moment where I'm like, okay, you need a little bit of anime levity or something where like he's laughing at her being such a bad. He's laughing at Lena being such a badass. He's like, my God, you really are an idiot. And she says like. She says, like, okay, hang on, what, what is the... She says, like, the most, like, I cannot believe they actually said this for real. It's like, she, he's like, my god, you really are an idiot. And Lena's just like, it's not like I'm doing this for you guys or anything. I'm like, okay, you know what, 86? We're dealing with a lot of shit right now. You get to do the unironic, it's not like I like you anything, ba-ba-baka. I'll let you have that. We need it, yeah. that right now. It, yeah. Yeah, I do appreciate. Yeah, I do. I do appreciate that Ryan is like natural response is just like laughing at she does that whole thing. Oh, he's such a good big bro. All right. Okay. Yeah. Jet. Jet. Jet is yours. If I'm, I'm sorry, not done. No, I, I, I mean that's about all I had. Go on. Okay. Um. So yeah, I can start with Aj because um, I have it. See, novelization, so I am the least familiar with Maureen here, and uh, as I, uh, I did like a performance, though. I thought she did a really good job of making her sound like more or most of the material level headed of the girls, especially compared to Karina, who's just kind of a dork. And uh, yeah, like you guys are saying, it definitely does feel as though she kind of was forced to accept the whole big sister role because there was uh, no one else, and Maureen did a really good job of kind of getting a lot of that anxiety across and of course I really liked her whole dynamic uh, her whole dynamic with Daya that was pretty fun and I especially liked her during the scene where she and Karina are in the shower and we find out that she's been hiding some kind of scar or brand or like whatever that is and how she revealed that Daya was like one of the few members of the team who like never drew any attention to it and now she like always appreciated about how she always appreciated that it was like ah oh, that was really sweet and it made me so sad he died so yeah that sucked ah oh, daya you stupid fucking idiot it was mutual it was mutual you fool uh yeah, and uh moving on to erica as Karina. i mean this is this is basically this is basically erica her element i mean Karina isn't quite a gremlin, but she is very dorky and adorable in regards to her obvious crush on Shane, and Erica plays it up really well because she's extremely good at that sort of thing, and it's a lot of fun. And Erica's performance uh, initially strikes a good balance between uh, Karina disliking Lena because of all the discrimination she's faced with the album, and also just, like, very clearly not liking her because of Shane's interest in her, like, it's essentially like what Megan was saying during the whole scene where she's like talking with Daya about how she like wishes Shin would just break Lena already and how Daya's like, yo, that's not cool. You know that Shin didn't, you know that Shin never wanted to do that to any of those other processors. And it's like, oh man. You, you can, um, uh, that way. It was really petty, but I thought that, that like Erica did a really good job of getting that across. And I thought it was especially interesting kind of seeing how like, her whole dynamic with Lena kind of evolves over time, and how, like, while Karina still doesn't clearly like her even toward the end, she does at least recognize that Lena's a decent person. And, and again, I do like her whole exchange with, like, with Ozzy in the shower, where, like, she's talking about 
whether or not it's time to, you know, finally tell Lady the awful truth about that whole thing. And I thought it was especially interesting that, like, Karina was, that Karina was the one who was, like, the most broken up about it, especially, like, given how clear her dislike was for Lady early on. So I thought it was kind of interesting seeing how much that changed over time, and Erica's delivery in that scene was really good. So, uh, yeah, I really liked Erica's performance. And Jonah uh, is riding. Uh, definitely sounded like the most down-to-earth and casual the team, which was reflected really well in Jonah's tone. Uh, you can definitely tell the guy has like seen a lot of stuff, but has gotten to the point where it just like rarely shows how much it's gotten to him. And Jonah uh, gets that across really well, and you know makes him come off as very much the big brother and kind of the rock of the group. And I definitely liked uh, Jonah's delivery when he kind of admits the light that he never really, uh, you know, like after Lena finally apologizes and starts calling everyone by their real names. And then, like, afterwards, he admits the that he doesn't really care much for her himself and probably won't ever think of her as, like, an actual ally, but is at least uh, willing to be civil and suit the breeze with her. And I thought that Jonah's, uh, I thought that the frankness of Jonah's delivery just kind of really added to that whole scene and really, uh, Enhance the dynamic. And of course, I also really, like you all were saying, I love how he handled the scene where the awful troop about the spearheads father gets revealed to Lena, and when she asks why they don't just like burn everything down in retaliation, uh, he he admits that he doesn't have a lot of love for the album himself, but like they all have their own circumstances and they want to be able to choose how they're going to die, and that they'd rather go out fighting than just burning everything down. And I thought that Jonah did a really good job in selling the, the resolution, but also just kind of like clear sadness of that whole sentiment that it came across really well. And then of course, uh, Casey and CEO, uh, it sounded very prickly and Casey did a really good job of getting a lot of attitude, but not to the point where he isn't incredibly easy to like. And I appreciated how in the first few episodes, you could tell just through Casey's delivery that he was bottling up a lot of I mean, that Theo was just kind of very clearly bottling up a lot of his annoyance, but later during their nightly calls and how that frustration was just building and building. So it finally got to the whole big call-out scene. And speaking of the big call-out scene, I uh, really, really love, loved how well KT nailed that scene. I really liked how raw and angry their delivery was. It just really... Because it inevitably helped to make Lena being on a receiving end of that whole exchange just all the more unnerving in the best way possible. And yeah, just did a really good job of making it clear that Lena had, uh, that Lena really hadn't done a good job of actually treating them as people and just kind of feeding her own ego and trying to help them. Your favorite shows would like it, never do that scene. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that actually is a matter because I feel like in a lesser show, Theo would have been, you know, made to acknowledge that he was wrong about Lena, that he really is the pure-hearted savior, as he acts like. But thankfully, this show is much, much smarter than that, so it acknowledges that he was largely right and absolutely should have said what he did to Lena, but maybe not they, in the exact way he said just Not, not in the way in time that he said it. They that he was right and justified, but that he clearly regretted how he said it. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, because while yeah, because while we well, what he said was mostly right, it was also clear that he was kind of projecting all his anger on the situation onto her when she doesn't really have the power to actually change anything. 
And uh, it's definitely a harsh reality on both ends, and it does kind of speak to the horror of this whole premise, but uh, Casey handled that whole thing really well, and yeah, Casey was one of my favorite performances in the dub. They did a really big job here. Mm-hmm. And uh, with that, it is finally time to move on to our final characters of the evening with our two leads. Uh, we have uh, Vladelina Milize, a.k.a. Lena, and Shine Dozen, a.k.a. Shin. Uh, Lena is a young and idealistic soldier from the San Magnolia capital who is against the oppression of the 86 and is put in charge of the Spearhead Squadron as a new handler. And Shin, on the other hand, is the strongest soldier from the Spearhead Squadron who was earned the nickname Reaper thanks to his high body count with the Legion and has taken it upon himself to uh, take out any of his fallen comrades before they can be made into the Legion. And he's also searching for his older brother who has become part of the Legion and wants to put him to death himself because he kind of feels responsible for what happened to him. Uh, so playing Lena, we have Susie Young, who has really blown up in this past year alone, and has played such characters as uh, Jen Shailon in Apai Ranban, Yuri Hanjo in High Rise Invasion, Kamen and Kimono Friends, and of course Yuffie in the Final Fantasy VII Remake. And playing Jin, we have Billy Kometz, who has played such characters as Galathemos in Promare, Josuke Higasta in Joseph Bizarre Adventure Diamond is Unbreakable, Osamatsu and Mr. Osamatsu, and Risu and Doro Hidoro. So, uh, Abad, uh, would you like to go first? Sure. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, we're here with our leads. Where to start? Uh, Billy gives a really good performance that I don't... I don't quite know how to describe what makes it so... good? Uh... I, I like I I find it interesting how Sinead he's not like like he's not repressed and it's not like you don't have a good understanding of what his motivations are per se but there's a lot of like you, know, you always feel like there's something going on under the surface with Sinead even when like it doesn't seem like there should be uh, there's always a sense of it, there's something there that he's not going to share with you because you know it's not your business. And I like how Billy's able to capture that. He 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 does. I don't know it's something about how Shanae is not a flat character, and Billy doesn't perform flatly. But you can always kind of tell. It's like no, there's a barrier, and he could potentially let you in, but he's only if he wants to. And otherwise, you can you can stay there on the outside, and deal with it. And I feel like that 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 some feels like something that's hard to capture in voice acting. But I think Billy does a really good job, and I think he does a really good job with Susie. I, I like I like how their dynamic evolves. Like you get a sense of Lena like does like she does change as a person due to having contact with the squadron, and you feel like getting to know Shinae does make her want to do better than just even what she had been previously doing. How do I put this? Hmm. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about Susie then, because uh, I like their performance a lot. Both, I like. I like the arc of it. I like that it starts. Out, I like that Lena is always presented as somebody who is trying to do well, but also starts out being very clueless about the reality of what she's engaging in, which leads to Theo calling her out, and that following that, her like 
motive, some of her motivation there is to actually do better. It's like, yeah, you're right, I've been shitty at this. And I don't want to do that because you guys are in a bad situation and you deserve better. So I'm gonna, I do want to, like, have an actual relationship with you. I do want to engage with you. And then when push starts coming to shove, it's like, alright, I'll go blind, who cares? So fucking what? La dee da, I'm gonna fire some mortars, I'm gonna help you, and if I get in trouble over it, sure. Whatever. This place sucks anyways. I don't, I, I like that, I like that Susie feels both... She feels consistent from one end of the show to the other, where she does start out as very unworldly in a lot of ways, and towards the end is a little more hardened and a little more cynical, but not in a way where it doesn't feel like a different character. Like, the, the Lena of the first few episodes would not go to uh, Henrietta's house and say, yeah, you know, you're coming to me to help with this because I'm telling you to. Um, but I, I, I can follow that arc, and I feel like Susie does a good job of presenting that in the character, of making this character feel like this is a character who has evolved and changed. Uh, and it's a, and not making it feel like, oh, she's different now. And we're not really gonna, you know, make that coherent. I don't know, these, 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 feel, these performances feel hard to talk about, not because they're hard to talk about, just like they're very good in a way I don't find very easy to articulate. I don't, That's fair. They're good? Like, I, they did that thing where I didn't think about the acting that much. It was just like, ah, these are these characters. That, yeah, they, they, they... They are doing things. They are interacting. They just were the characters to you, and they just felt right. Yeah, like, it's just, like, it's it's good casting, good direction. I feel like they got what these characters, who they are, and what their motivations are, and what their arc is. And I feel like for a show like this, that's very important, because this is not a show where I feel like you're spending too much time thinking about the mechanics of... The acting per se and i i always appreciate it when for shows like this like you don't have to do that and these just feel these feel like i don't know they just feel like really emblematic of that like these are the right these are the right performances for these characters mm. i wouldn't want anything else gotcha okay i'm trying to think if i have anything more salient to say i don't know it got sad at the end of episode nine that was heartbreaking <laughs> You could tell that, like, uh, oh, they, they're out. Oh, they're out. Oh, I'm never going to see these people again. Fuck. I didn't get to say goodbye. Ah, it was, it, was, it was nice. We're going on ahead, Major. Yeah. <sighs> now I'm sad again. Yeah. Uh, but not that sad. <laughs> the show's really good in a, in a really in a really affecting way. Does it help? To know that there is a season two. I don't know because I need. I don't know what season two does, and this absolutely feels like the kind of show where like uh, we'll find out about other parts of this world, or we'll follow Elena's story. But I, like, I don't know. I don't trust that anyone survived that final battle because this is absolutely the kind of show where it's like, yeah, no, they 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 bit it. Sorry. Uh, sorry. Uh, sorry. Uh, to which I uh, to which I can say about. Uh... So, uh, by no means should you go out to Crunchyroll and look at the like current, uh, uh the current, uh, God, what uh, promotional poster, promotional art, yeah, is it, is it, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, the current promo art. I mean, it will be really spoiled. I mean, I guess, but I also trust promo art to lie to me, so 
I'll take your word that it's not lying to me. But okay, that would be okay, a good okay, I mean, okay. Uh, here's what I'm gonna do. Okay, I mean, you'll be okay. Here's what I'm gonna do when, when, <laughs> when, if, if, and when the day the the dub of the second half drops, I'm just gonna send you a link, and you're just gonna watch it, and then you'll know. I mean, I mean, we live in 2021. I can go find out pretty easy. You're just okay, but, but it's no, it's no, it's no fun if you go read it on the internet. You know, anyone can do that. It's also a good idea to probably not immediately go on Google to try and find out. Hey, oh, you mean like punch in some character yep, name? This is yeah, the worst. I, I try. Ah, the old, I try, the old. I try not. Look, I've been X character I, dies. I have been following. I've been because I'm bad at remembering what characters look like. I've been following along on like you know whatever fan wiki exists for the '86, and I was gonna open up the pages for the rest of the Spirit Squadron. It's like you know what? I'm gonna see a spoiler. I don't want to see if I do that. Never mind. I literally. I know who they are. I remember back in the day, I typed in a character. I typed in a character's name from Attack on Titan because I was like, I wonder who. You fool! I wonder what this. You fool! I wonder what this character's uh, voice actor is again. I wanted to double check, and then I find out that they're a Titan. <laughs> and it was not yet animated at the time. And I was like, Are you? F what the fuck? Womp womp. Yeah, that that. Excuse that me. That was what? how I learned that lesson. Also, my cat has decided to jump back in uh, my arms. Hello. So if she. Hello, baby. That is good, baby. I'm trying to hope she meows in there. Into the microphone. We can ADR it in post. It's fine. Meow. That's what Shinya sounds like, right? No, she's a lot squeakier. I will not squeak for you. I will drop three hours of opinions for you. No, squeaks for uh, Stephanie only. Alrighty then. No comment. No comment. <laughs> Alright, this is getting... Uh, Susie and Billy give good performances. I, I'm sorry, I had to. I took my shot. I, you're fine. I'm trying to think if I have anything more salient that I want to add. They're very good here. They're very... They're very... I think I heard her meow if it helps. Uh... Thank you. Uh, they're they're very they're very good. They play the characters very well. They have I mean everyone in, I think any major character in the show has a difficult task ahead of them because of the material, but I think they do a extremely commendable job playing these characters. Uh, also, I did really enjoy Susie being at that stuffy ball at which because she was obligated to, and clearly thinking this is the this is this is such a colossal waste of time. I can't believe I have to be. Here. She looked so. Why are you wearing all she black? She fucking hot in the black dress. What are you smoking? They're boring, <laughs> Andrew. They're boring people. They're boring and <laughs> They're also boring racist. Fascists. Let her wear black. She looks fucking hot. That. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I think I'm, I'm done. There's your horny content for the night. <laughs> I wouldn't even say it's that horny. It's just look at her. She looks fucking fantastic in that getup. Girl, you rocking it. Mm. All right. Okay. Okay. So who wants who wants to go? I, I see. I am now in the spot. Yeah, uh, I am now in the spotlight by saying that uh, Lena's black dress was fucking hot because it was so yeah um i'm gonna start with shin billy Komet is very good i'm very used to a lot more 
lately I've gotten used to a lot more boisterous, loud, goofy Billy Comets rolls. So hearing some, like, basically stuff like, I, I recently watched Mr. Osumatsu. I watched, I'm a very big fan of the Irmakun dub where he's Asmodeus Alice. Gallo fucking Timo said, I am Ferdinand von Eyer. Are all unbelievably different characters compared to Shine Nozen, a.k.a. the Undertaker, a.k.a. the Reaper of Spearhead Squadron. I'm sorry, I didn't start laughing because I was just like, on the scale of Ferdinand to Shin, how are you handling war today? Why Why is it that only until Andrew's saying it did I make the connection between him being the Undertaker and the wrestler who's also named the Undertaker? Who are not, are not, <laughs> oh my god! I'm now trying to remember if the Undertaker is the one who looks like Kelsey Grammer or Else, not. Uh, Undertaker might look like Kelsey Grammer. Anyways, I, just because we need a little levity before we get no, into this. Me no, Amon said it! I have Megan, to I was it. going to say it too as well, if you would like. Just don't, just don't name okay, a name, Alma, and we're to, good. I'm not naming a name, but Amon, do you want to know what one of the stupidest arguments Andrew and I ever got on, got in uh, to about with a forum member on the Funimation forums when it was a thing? Do tell. That the Black Butler Undertaker was not a reference to the actual profession of undertaking, but that it was a reference to the wrestler. The no, it's not that they thought it. They, it's and not that, that they thought. No, they no, did. No, no, no. They it's not that they thought did. it was a reference. They thought it was ripping off WWE. Not that the profession of undertaking had existed for hundreds of thousands of years. But that Undertaker, Undertakers were created by the WWE, like how Persona 5 created Shibuya and Jazz. Yep. That was a thing. I don't I don't recall there being any undead cowboys in Black Butler, and it's been a while <laughs> since I saw that one season, but I don't recall that being there. This is a... Oh, Jesus Christ. This has been a very upsetting I'm, night, I I'm know. Amon, why don't you talk to anime fans? This uh, is why. Uh, this. I, look, I already hang out on places where they talk about music. I, there are enough insufferable nerds in my life. I don't need more. You know, you are stronger than I. I think I couldn't deal with that. Oh, look, you just have to not take Pitchfork seriously, and it all gets a lot easier. I'd, I'd imagine there's a couple of people that will... Uh... That will live and die by that. Oh, you have no idea. Anyways. <laughs> okay, anyways. Since I just... So, yeah. Shin is a very much more calm, subdued, and... I wouldn't even say stoic. I'd say a lot more uh, collected. Because I wouldn't say he's emotionless. Because there's clearly emotion coming through. He's just a lot more stilted and reserved in it. Where it's like you can hear it coming through his performance and like you can hear the little moments where he's a little more happy and kind of barely like having has a little smile compared to like when he's a little more matter of factly. But then you also see like him going feeling that weird sense of like excitement and fulfillment that he's finally going to put his brother to rest. And it's just... Oh man, like some of those action scenes are are rough for that reason. So I definitely say it's a much more subdued role than what I'm used to with Billy Komets, but I think he absolutely nails everything that he brings to the table 
for uh, Shin. It's I think it's particularly exceptional. Susie Young as Vladalina Milize, aka Major Lena. Holy shit. Susie Young has had a pretty exceptional year as far as voice acting and roles. Holy shit, Susie Young as Lena is a goddamn tour de force of a character arc. Not only that, it's like, because Lena is basically the poster child light novel war girl on the surface level. In that she is a hardworking war girl. Like, she is a soldier. She's a hardworking war girl. She's put it, she's the textbook definition of, like, trying her best, putting in more effort than everybody around her, trying to do what's right. She's also kind of, basically, as was joked by Kaye, the very innocent little, uh, like, virgin girl, pure, innocent, doesn't know the true horrors of the world around her, is ignorant to the world around her. Like, uh, uh, on appearance, Lena's character and character design looks like a character that would think kissing makes you pregnant. This may or may not be a call-out to another light novel series. Who can say? But, the thing that... No, now you're making me think of the mean girls don't have sex, she'll get pregnant and die. Pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, that is, that's probably what her fucking, uh, country could teach her. Like, what? They don't, they don't care about fucking, uh, minorities. You think they give a shit? They probably care a lot about controlling women's bodies, too. Let's be fucking real here. As, as, I mean, I mean, uh, I would assume that having a lot of marriage partners was probably not just, like, anything exclusive to her. So, uh... I think they, I don't know if the, the... Um, anime ever brought it up. I think the light novel does bring up that Lena, that Lena was getting into. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a, yeah. I mean, I mean, it was. I mean, it was like briefly mentioned by Jerome that like it was expected for her to like get married soon. So, yeah, I would assume that it's okay. like a thing they expected women in that. But country. the thing that makes Lena work that I feel that makes it the most interesting. Lena is challenged. Lena kind of gets her ideology rocked. And she learns. She grows. She changes. And she actively becomes a better, more honest person without changing her core values. Like, she she is not, like, she, her world has not been rocked. She has not given into the despair. She's only gotten the courage to change it for the better. And also, of course, just because we were talking about it earlier, there is nothing more satisfying than the sweet girl getting her fuck yeah motherfucker moment. And Lena gets a really good one. Lena gets a really good one, because I love the part where, like, she just screams... Who gives a shit and the skies break open with fucking mortars? It's so... Apparently, apparently, according to Chris's Twitter, he didn't know if that was going to make it into the episode. That's even better! That's even better! <laughs> the fact that that got in and they're like, oh no, that fucking works! 
Oh, that's even better. I love that. That's one of my favorite moments of Lena and Susie's performance. It really, really sold her for me as a Florida. I'm not giving into this. And also, I love how she she goes to a net where it's like, I'm not talking to you as my friend. I'm talking to you as your commanding officer who I'm gonna, you're gonna fucking help me or so help me we're both getting court-martialed. If I'm going down, I'm taking you with me and there's not a goddamn thing you can do about it. And that's scary, but it's like, oh shit. She is going to stay true to this, but she is also like, she learns about her ignorance. She learns about the fact that, like, I don't know their names, so I want to know who they are. I want to know who they are. I want to know what they look like. She has her own box that she carries with her, like sh like Shin does by the end of this. And she's going to carry that with her forever. Lena's performance as... Uh, uh, Susie's performance as Lena is so multifaceted, complex, adorable sweet, heartbreaking, and fucking powerful. And it's like, uh, like I said, Casey was like the best performance in this dub. There's a very good case for Susie as the other best performance in this dub, if not the best too. She's fucking spectacular. And I am done. Oh, perfect timing. Cool. I'm going to go pee quickly. Please continue your thoughts. I got to so, pee. The cat, the cat was screaming and starting to knock over manga. Um, let me open my Pop-Tart I'm hungry. Um, so, uh, let me start with uh, Susie as Luna. Um, if, if I hadn't... This, I don't even know if I can call this her breakout role because I was like, she was fucking phenomenal in Kimono Friends and I knew she was always going to be big. Um, but man, what a fucking knockout performance. Um, she owns Milze as a performance. Lena Milze as a performance. There is a level of naivete, good intentions, and absolute fury that she, and sympathy that she gets. And there are times where I think Lena, among all, gets the most, like, stereotypical anime-y moments. Like, how she's, um, how she's, like, blushing about Shin and stuff. Um. Sorry. How she gets to blush about Shin and have those little fantasy moments. But I also think that she gets these kind of moments of clarity and being a person who apologizes too much that she starts to exhibit signs of post-traumatic stress disorder from this job. Because one of the scenes that really stood out for me in, in Lena's performance is where she starts hearing the voices for the first time. Oh, Jesus, I forgot. Oh, God, that scene. And she scream and 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 Susie's scream is like so top notch, but God, that scene where she just rolls up and it's like, and she pulls the parade off of herself and hauls it up to Henrietta and goes, "I've been talking to Shin," and that is the words and 
delivery of somebody who at that moment has zero fucks because Annette fucked around and Annette found out. She found out real good. What? In that moment, the spirit of our Lord and Savior Gritty possessed Lena. Um, but even beyond that, I think the thing that really sells the whole she's naive thing is how childish she is about a lot of stuff. And that she does have this wide-eyed idealist thing and about her. And how she's just like... She's also a child soldier in a sense. But she's a child soldier of choice, not force. She could easily be doing whatever she wanted to be. She could just be in school. She could be a housewife. She chooses to do this for herself. And I think on some level, I think that also probably pisses off the Spearhead Squadron when she says, I'm your age. Because, like... Oh, man. Could you imagine at, if you were one of the Spearhead Squadron and you hear this really chipper voice saying how much uh, they don't believe in your oppression and how much they want to help you, but they've never asked your name... And then they say, I'm your age. And you've been forced to fight in this war since you were a young kid and deal with all these atrocities. Meanwhile, in a sense, she gets to watch the... F she basically is playing an IRL game of Call of Duty. Mm hmm Yeah. That... Like, 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 how do you think that feels? Very tone death on Lena's part. And then going over to Shin, who, like, I don't think it's a bad performance from Billy, but I don't think it, I think it's really good. It's not probably among some of my favorites, like Gallo or Josuke. But it's in the sense that Amon said, where it's like, these are very much, they are these characters. I think the thing I like about his performance as Shin is that Shin is a little, you can hear in Billy's performance, Shin is emotionally stunted that he doesn't know how to be a normal person because he's, you know, he heard voices thanks to a power in his head since he was a kid. His brothers tried to murder him. His family got exiled. He probably went to a really nice school and got bullied because the implications were that probably before this even happened, they were bullying him for not being silvery-haired and silver-eyed. Double white. But... Super white. Hellman's mixed with... It's like mayonnaise mixed with extra mayonnaise. It's, uh, okay, I can't believe I'm going to say this. It's like that one scene from Teen Titans Go where Robin puts a pinch of spice on a... I put not, a pinch of salt on a potato and he's like, ooh, oh god damn, that's spicy. That... Le that that's actual an actual Teen Titans thing. thing. Oh it, it's that level of white. Like. And for me, whoever played Young Shin, by the way, was really good, too. Was, oh, uh, I, oh, I checked the roles. That was also uh, Tiana Camacho. She did a great Shin, job as that. 
But man, like I brought up the Fido thing and I that first scene that you see in Fido's recordings of just like maybe a, a 10 or 11 year old Shin carving out the names, the, the things so he can write the names of his fallen comrades and carry them. Like how fucked up is that for a child? And, like, you can tell that it stunted his ability to connect with other people and just grow. And it's why I think that I appreciate Raiden mentioning that now that Shin's killed his brother, what does he do? You've trained a soldier to do everything it can, and now when it's done with its mission, what do you do with it? And I love that scene where they find the zoo. And they equate it to themselves, that these animals were kept for the amusement of others in cages, and when shit hit the fan, it was they who were abandoned with nowhere to go. And just that scene, Billy's performance in that moment is so beautiful. And I think that's the thing that Billy gets across most with Shin, is that Shin is both beautiful a beautiful person a mysterious person but also a a culmination of horror and he's meant to carry this across him with himself it has nobody to communicate that to and i also didn't mention it in the in the thing with the the uh other spearhead squadrons man as an american that whole thing where it's, they, they tell us in five years, if you join the war, we'll let you rejoin society, really rings true about the predatory nature of U.S. military recruitment in high schools. <sighs> but yeah, that's all I have to say. So, Jet, go ahead. Um, yeah, I'm going to be uh, echoing one of the sentiments you guys mentioned. Uh, I'm probably going to... I'll start us off with Billy. Um, I'm going to say that uh, Billy's performance as Shin actually kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Kyle McCarley's uh, Mikazuki and Momotsu kind of my Holy shit, you're fucking right. is also a show about child soldiers on the battlefield. Oh my god, it is. It is like Mikazuki. I've never seen Iron Blooded Orphans, and my copy doesn't come in for two. Oh weeks. shit! God, you fucking hit yeah. it right on the head, head of the nail. My god. They say, yeah, so yeah, so uh, it reminds me of that performance, and that similar to that show, Surya uh, Tia's performance in Japanese kind of played as a more like typical stoic anime character archetype to me, and like rather than any dub that, and rather than any dub just you know directly copying that, Billy Shin sounds like more emotionally repressed and aloof than, like, stoic. Um, and generally just because of a lot of the stuff he's gone through as a child soldier, but at the same time, you can tell that, yes, he does clearly have emotions and there is, like, a warmth to him that when it concerns like, the people he cares about, and that definitely comes through uh, pretty well in Billy's tone, which is something I appreciated. And, uh, yeah, there's just, like, a lot of really great moments of him. I really like his whole, like, Dynamic, uh, his whole dynamic later where, where like out of the entire squad, he's the one who is at least the most initially open to her, or is at least the most like respectful in a sense. And I thought that was like pretty interesting, and seeing how their whole uh, relationship kind of evolved over time. 
I definitely liked his delivery when he's like talking with Lane after Zio called around and uh, when he told her that he understands she isn't necessarily responsible for her situation. And Billy does a good job of making him sound double-headed and uh, but you know, but at the same time, Shane also knows that Theo does did like very clearly have a point, and Billy Stone does a really good job of making clear that Shane does that, that Shane does at least somewhat agree with what Theo said. Just again, not in the exact way he said it, and I thought that Billy did a really good job of get, uh, getting that across. And uh, and and, uh, and I definitely do think that Billy did a really good job of like telling the old. Uh, tragedy of his relationship with his brother and like all the guilt he was feeling over, over over the fact that as far as he knows his brother just like blames him for everything that happened and like all the and all the survivors guilt that like shit is clearly carrying around with him and I thought that Bill did a really good job of getting that across and how all that really culminates in, in that scene where he finally does put his brother to rest and I really do appreciate that, like, the way this scene is framed. Like, initially, you don't hear Shin crying after the whole thing is done. And then when the, the credits roll, and, like, we ship rotated through Lena, and we just hear Billy sobbing, and it just... And he it, really it, sold it. I, I like gosh. the way they framed that, because it almost, it almost, like, feels, like, intrusive. Mm. I, like, I, I love it, like, you hear it only through, like, the recording, and then Raiden's just like... Cut the comms. He needs to be alone. Yeah, and I do appreciate that, like, after that whole scene, Billy Shin does sound a little more, like, calmer and not necessarily at ease, but there is, like, a bit more of a lightness to it where it does seem like he finally has a big weight off his shoulders, but there's also a sense of... There's a sense of he doesn't really know what he wants to do with himself anymore, and, uh... Then he goes and, uh, and then he goes and essentially tries to sacrifice himself. So uh, that was a thing. And uh, yeah, Billy's performance was uh, honestly really fantastic. Like, I don't know if there's gonna be a lot of words to say about Susie Young's performance, but Billy's performance was also like really great too. And uh, given this is an archetype that he doesn't do a whole lot, and it is also kind of difficult to pull off in general, I was really impressed with how he handled it. And uh, moving on to Susie as Lena. Uh, yeah, I really liked her performance. It was uh, basically my personal favorite of the dub. Uh, she did a really good job of getting into this character pretty quickly. And uh, did a really good job of playing Lena as this very wide-eyed idealist who very clearly wants to do the right thing. And is appalled by what her nation is doing, but is, but at the same time is also kind of very clearly concerned about her own morals and that, you know, and that's why to know that, oh, you know, I'm a good person, and that's why the research and, oh, I'm a good person at least. And it's, and it's definitely a very clear kind of white savior complex thing, which I thought that Susie got across really well. And uh, I also and I also appreciated that, you know, while White and other bets aside series a lot of the time, it does get flushed pretty easily, and I thought that uh, Susie did a really good job of, you know, transitioning through that side of her in a way that felt natural. And while it is, you know, a little, uh, light novel girl postery at times, I thought that, um, so I thought that Susie did a really good job of balancing all that out pretty well. And, uh, I also thought she did a really good job of handling the whole, 
uh, aftermath of getting called about the over hypocrisy really well. And it's interesting seeing Lana being forced to recognize while she may have had good intentions, she was just looking at the 86 of the group and wasn't really, you know, acknowledging these spearhead members as actual people, much less, you know, acknowledging how unequal their their whole relationship is. And without going too much into real world parallels there, that's definitely a hard pill for a lot of folks who swallow generally, and I thought that Susie did a really good job of handling, you know, how much weight that whole scene had. Uh, also, Dotsy did a really good job uh, during the whole uh, breakdown Lena had about finding out the truth about the Spearhead gag, and I thought that Susie did a really good job of making her sound angry and confused as to why they wouldn't really want revenge after everything that happened. And so, so, and, uh, so, and her liberty there felt really raw, and I also like how that contrasted with her very stone cold delivery during. The whole scene where she just essentially emotionally blackmailed and added to doing what she wants. And by that point, you definitely tell that Lady was really ready and, ready and willing to do whatever it took to prevent the Spearhead Squad. And, as a, as a, and of course, you know, her finally stepping in to help them during the final inning was also pretty cool. And yeah, I thought she handled that pretty well. And I also have to, uh, yeah, I also really want to give Susie some props for how she handled Lady's last scene in the show. Is that where. Was that where I don't remember what the exact line was, but something, but it was something, was something on the lines of "I'll keep fighting too until fate finally comes to take me." And I thought that Lady's delivery, and uh, Susie's delivery there was real good. Mm. And uh, so, and uh, yeah, both of these performances were really great. Uh, fantastic job to Billy and Susie. And with that, I think we are good to move with the final thoughts. Uh, Ahmad, would you like to go first? Yeah, sure. Uh, this dub's great. Uh, this is a really good show. I'm not gonna say it didn't have to be this good, but like I mentioned, uh, like when we were talking about the uh, ADR script, like there's a lot of steps on the road to this show coming out where it could have just planted directly into the ground face first, and it did not. And goddamn, and just uh, this is like this is it's a great show. You should watch it. And this is a really, really good dub. It is it is the dub the show deserves. This is a excellent way to watch the show. I highly recommend it. Uh, watch it if you want to have a bad time in the best possible way. It's one of those shows. <laughs> goes goes well with feeling down about humanity in general. What if what if you're trying to play the what if you're trying to play the friendly Undertale run, but all you're seeing is the genocide run around you? As I, uh, jokes on you, I never did the genocide run. I felt too bad. <laughs> I felt no, too no, bad. No, no, no. Let's put it like this. It's not... <laughs> it's past best run to it's not... It, the show is like, it's not that you are doing the genocide run. It's that you're watching the genocide run happen around you, and you can't stop it. <laughs> Well, you should find you should it find is... some better let's players to follow then. <laughs> I'm trying to make an analogy, but sure. I know. Jet, oh, Jet, I, I, I want you to know that when you said that, you know what image came to mind? It's like uh, I can never take. It's like being mean to people in real life and eh, being mean to people in video games. I can't do it. I'm not it's strong true. enough. It's true. It's, 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 I mean, I mean, it's true. I mean, it's true. I got to the end of the pacifist run another tale. I was like, no, I'm, I'm not going to do the genocide run. I, I can't do it. 
Bless your heart. The, it's too mean. The bone man makes me smile. I can't. I can't do him like that. Anyway, Andrew, would you? Oh fuck! Right, we're still talking about eighty-six. Um. Jesus fucking Christ! This show is. You're right. It it is even better. It's it's better on a rewatch than I remembered. Genuinely incredible material. Genuinely. I I'm with Amon. The anime adaptation could have fucking fallen flat so many times, but the team putting this together knew what the fuck they were doing, and they gave it a really good adaptation. And not only that, the dub, they gave it a really, really, really good dub. I would absolutely agree and say this is probably, like, at least of, like, the era of where fun where Crunchyroll started doing a lot more regular simul dubs after parting ways with uh, Funimation. I would definitely say this is probably one of their best, if not, like, probably an argument for the best, uh, simul, like, English simul dub they have done since then. There's a couple of other arguments you could make, but I'd definitely say this is up there as, like, one of the strongest products that, like, Crunchyroll has produced and put out. The, the team that worked on this, uh, Ezra, Chris, and all the cast and crew fucking killed it. Incredible show, incredible dub. If you haven't watched it already, we have just spoiled the whole fucking thing for you. Why the fuck did you do that? But also go you watch the moron. show. Look what you've done to yourself. But also go watch the show too in its proper context because it's equally as fantastic and amazing. And Jesus Christ, it's so good. Woo! I guess I'll go next. Uh, I definitely agree with the sentiment that this is the probably the strongest. Um, not Funimation helped Simuldub that CR produced, like, where Funimation wasn't producing the discs or anything. Um, I think it's an absolutely fantastic dub, which I will probably rewatch again uh, closer to the dubbies. Or I'll have to rewatch parts of it again, because God knows, I think a couple of us are putting this in the, the fan We'll see video. which way the cookie crumbles. <laughs> the crumbles. Um, I think it's an absolute beautiful piece of work. I think the adaptive writing is some of the strongest of the year. I think some of the character acting is phenomenal. Probably one of the best ensemble casts you'll hear all year. Um, and it tackles a heavy subject matter with dignity and grace, which is not something I think a lot of its counterparts do. Um, especially in the light novel category. Uh, and I'm glad that Crunchyroll actually did something smart and chose to dub this instead of like I don't know, whatever the fuck Blandy Sakai or Fun fact, XR. They didn't announce this it's originally. A, 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 yeah, a, yeah, 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 like they actually did, didn't. I forgot they didn't announce this originally, and I feel like they got a bunch of backlash. I mean, they, they did it. start the dub like after the show was done a lot later they, than they would have. I'm all, I there's probably they probably were just waiting on like licensor things from Japan and Anaplex or something. But I personally like to imagine that, like, people were like, are you fucking kidding me? You're not dubbing 86? And they're like, oh, shit. Oh, no, we fucked up. Uh, yeah, we're doing it. Why would you think we're not? Is it, yeah, is it, uh, is it, yeah, personally, like, since it's for why it started to wait, it's just, like, it's just, like, uh, generally speaking, Bagzoom takes their time with, like, casting, so that's probably why. Mm. But, yeah, no, great job all around, and if you haven't watched 86 yet, uh, make sure you do. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, definitely gotta echo what everyone else has said. This is, uh, uh, in general, this is a really good adaptation of 
a, a series with a lot of really heavy material. It would have been it would have been incredibly easy for a lesser adaptation to have like to have fumbled the ball somewhere, but they really managed to carry it across to the finish line. And I'm glad the dub was able to follow suit. And the cat it was pretty well casted across the board. I like how I like how everyone sounded. The adaptive script running was really impressive too. Just like we're all across the board with fantastic work, and yeah, definitely one of the best. Dubs, crunchy rolls produced. So, uh, yeah, so, yeah. If you haven't had the opportunity to check it out, you should do so. And even if you just want to, you know, check out the show in general, like you should. It's a really, it's a really fantastic show. Like upon, I mean, it was definitely already up there for one of my favorite shows of the year. But upon rewatch, it's like, yeah, this is definitely sitting at like probably not, probably not number one because you know, Odd Taxi is still a thing, but definitely like top three. Yeah, this is in my top five of the year. I don't know if I'd call it my number one overall, but it's 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 up there at least with me with like um, Kageki Shoujo, Ranking of Kings, and the Ranking of Kings is two episodes. Uh, this and like Love Life Superstar. See, see, I, see, I personally don't like putting my favorite of the year when it's got like so little episodes, but I think that's at least that those are fair. Listen, Ranking of Kings is pretty fucking. Uh, but uh, so, uh, but yeah, uh, Ajax is real good, and uh, yeah, glad we got to talk about this one. As I mean, I mean, if you're, I mean, if you really need an endorsement of how good this show is, we literally just spent three hours talking about an eleven-episode season. If that doesn't tell you how good it's, there's a lot. To, there's a lot out of this we can go dig into. I had to stop myself from talking more about some characters. Amon, do you have a dusty old song? I do. I'm trying to get my note about it. My tablet's being weird. Uh, stall for time. Okay. Well. Okay. I'll talk about. I'll talk about okay. mine. Okay. Oh yeah. Go ahead. Right. You had a thing. Go ahead. Weird. So yeah, it it didn't click for me until Andrew did that speech about the the how you choose to walk up to the gallows. Is like, I don't. I know I've seen it. I'm probably sure Amon and. Almond's heard of it. Have you all heard of a, uh, a great little movie di- made by a horrible, horrible man called Dancer in the Dark? I I, I refuse to watch Lars von Trier movies because he's awful. I had to watch it by force. Miserable. But yes, the one with Bjork in it. I am familiar with it because Bjork's in it. Well, I had to watch it by force because I had to watch it in college. I'm sorry. I do it's know. A, the, I do know movie. the scene you're talking about. I think though. So go on. Yeah, when they said when they said you choose to walk up to the gallows, she walks up singing before she and she starts singing as she's at the gallows and gets killed mid song. But my dusty old song is the credit song, which is New World by Bjork. Which is what I imagine playing as they all are, you know, criminals of the state. But anyway, that's mine. It's a good one. Uh, I, I actually have a pair because I was a little stumped with what to do with this, and then um, All Quiet on the Western Front, and it's like, wait, a couple of bands I like wrote songs about World War One. let's use those. They're both British, as I'm sure you'll be shocked to learn, because uh, if you've read about World War One, it was awful, even by the standards of war, just a colossal uh, meat grinder that just chewed up, like, the young men of Europe. It was bad. Uh... So, if you want to feel sad, you can check out uh, a pair of rock operas by British people. Uh, one is SF Sorrow by The Pretty Things, 
widely considered the first rock opera. And they have a nice song in there, Private Sorrow, which is about the lead character being in the army. Uh, and how that kind of screws him up a little. Uh, and then right after that, uh, he tries to start a new life in America, and then his wife comes over on Not the Hindenburg, and it kind of explodes and she dies. Oof. Oh no. Yeah, it, like it's called SF Sorrow for a reason, you know? Uh, and the other one, which goes by a more familiar band, is uh, uh, by by the Kinks, in my opinion, their best album, Arthur or the Decline and Fall of the British Empire. And there's a nice song on there called Yes Sir, No Sir, which is both about how being in the war kind of fucked up the main character, and also some nice asides about how politicians uh, cynically manipulate the working class into being uh, grist for the war mill. So, you know, that works. I think we were supposed... Oh, yeah, we, we gotta do plugs now, don't we? Yeah, we do. I was surprised you did this this early, but yeah, plugs. That's it. That's it. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, cool. So, um... Yep, yep. So, um, we are the Dumb Talk Podcast. Uh, you can find us on, uh, the Twitters, the... That's right, uh, the Instagrams, the Tumblr is... Uh, dead still... Uh, we uh, we usually we usually have new episodes going up every Friday on uh, YouTube, Spotify, and, and Apple Podcasts. Uh, yeah, and Apple Podcast. Uh, if you would like to support anything we we do, uh, you can help us through a one-time donation to our Kofi, or you can be one of our lovely patrons. And uh, before we wrap up, I want to give a shout out to our patrons and the. Five dollar tier. We have Megan's mom and dad, Michelle Travis, Miraculous Color Zone, uh, Nico Robin, Moment Yowie Hands, uh, Sweet Tweety, and Victor Maramona. And in the ten dollar tier, we have Carly Lessica, Crimson Echidna, Jacob Bullsage, Jared Hawkins, Julie W, Wendy, and Otaku Anthony. Uh, thanks for all your support, guys. We really appreciate it. Also, this is three hours in. Are you happy now, Getter? We did a damn episode. <laughs> Get off my dick, Getter. Okay. Uh, and yeah, shout out to uh, our good our good buddy on the Anime Dubs Discord, uh, Getter, who we got into this show and he's really into it. He actually helped me out a lot, learning a little bit more about uh, what uh, Chris, Chris Kanigi did. And I appreciate that. Though. Yeah, so shout out to the people who really, really wanted this to happen. Uh, Getter, J, uh, Mana, UG, and uh, Get Thanks us for on? everybody who pushed us to watch this little uh, funny named light novel series. It really hit us. No, if yeah. you excuse me, I'd like to go cry. <laughs> Yeah, uh, before, uh, before you do, uh, is there anything you would like to plug? Uh, hi, my name is Megan. You can follow me at twitter.com uh, at quinier2, where I mostly shitpost, depending on when this episode gets up. Uh, you might be able to find me at a con up in the north, Ice Room Fire Emblem, on Wednesdays. Though, I, as of the time of this recording, I've probably not been recording for a couple weeks because of stuff going on in my life. Uh, but yeah, no, that's that's what I do. Also, please, uh, also, if you would like to pick up the light novels, they are available from Yen Press. All right. Uh, if you'd like to follow me, uh, my name is Andrew, a.k.a. Classy Spartan. You can find me over on Twitter at MangaMan9000. Uh, the other thing I do, uh, aside from being a uh, Funimation uh, for, uh, Discord moderator, 
Uh, I'm also on another anime podcast with Jet here, uh, Surreal Resolutions Podcast ONA. And as far as what else I've been doing lately, uh, Dub Talk has a Twitch. Uh, we uh, twitch.tv slash talk podcast. And at the time of this recording, I am going to be starting my probably like longest playthrough yet, where I'm going to be playing for the first time AI the Somnium Files. And that one is another, are you happy? Get her hop off my dick one. I love that. Oh, I am, I, I am, I am super excited to watch Oh, I'm going into that blind. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Defi yeah, definitely very curious to see what your take is going to be. I'm very that. excited. That game, I've been wanting to play that for a while. I think that's going to be fun. Um, but yeah, no, uh, that's what I do. And I also talk on the internet with these goobers at Dub Talk for three and a half hours about really, really good, but really hard subject shows. Okay, uh, I'm on. Uh, you can find me at US on Twitter. Duel has two U's in it. Uh, I talk about whatever. Comic books, movies, music. Normally this would be where the dusty old song goes. We already did that. Uh, I'm not uh, oh, I'm I not on the Anime Dumps Discord, so I'm a no-getter. Uh, I don't listen to the music I recommend, question mark. More people should listen to the pretty things. They're a, they're a band in danger of being forgotten. Because <laughs> only people like me care about them. But we love you. Uh, we love you. I know, but that doesn't mean you love the pretty things, so that's okay. I want to give your, I want to give you and your fucking lumberjack beard-looking ass a hug again. Damn it. I know. Same. Eventually. Maybe next year for AB. I know. Well, it's, they, they said AB is happening as of, for the time being, so we'll see. Dope. And and uh, as for me, I'm Jed, and you can find me on the Twitters at Divine Daniel, where we'll usually be. Uh, talking about um, uh, I don't know. I guess that'd be cartoons, politics, or whatever is going on currently. Uh, it's a pretty, it's a pretty decent time. And like Andrew was saying, you can also uh, find me on podcast one where uh, we will usually just be J debris and talking anime news. And I do do, it's like and I do do Twitch streams on Thursdays. Uh, currently going through thirteen sentinels. So. Don't take it personally if I don't tune in for those. I really want to play that one on my own. Yeah, Thursdays is my day to work until 9pm, which is not great for watching. Sports. That's fair. But I, I hope you have fun with that one. Yeah. Hey. Oh god, we're... I, okay. Jesus, I, I'm looking at the runtime. We need to... <laughs> we we i said you're you're megan you joked on it oh i'm sorry i thought you said three and a half hours because you had looked at the runtime oh, god oh no i tempted fate i said over under three hours talking about I this said, tonight i said i think we might go under and i uh oh, fuck you <laughs> all right i tried to keep this like i tried to Limited to like four seconds, but I do regret. I, I while, don't so. regret what we've said. I ju I'm just now running on empty, and I'm ready to, I'm ready to hang up my coat for the night. Yeah, that's probably yeah, this one probably is gonna be out for a while, but uh, it was I, fun. thanks. And uh, so, uh, yeah, so that's for anytime, dude. This one was a really, this one was a really anytime. good one to talk about. And uh, and uh, yeah, and uh, thanks. Megan again for uh, even recommending this show to me. You're welcome. I would have hosted this if I wasn't having a literal breakdown, like, super close to this. 
Anyway, no. Thank you, Jet. You're welcome. Yeah, I, I hope you feel better soon. Anyway. I am. I'm doing a lot better now. So. All right. Oh, that's great. Good. Good night, everybody. And yeah, I don't have a funny. We can cut out. We can cut out the part about me having a breakdown. Yeah, no, we can do that. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah, yeah, we can do that, of course. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, th anyway, uh, thanks for listening to us, everyone. And uh, until next time, Otaku on. And uh, honestly, I, I don't have a funny clip for this one. Just be good to each other. The world's harsh and cold, but be the change you want to be. Good night and Otaku Bye. on. Rock over Boston, rock on Chicago. For once, I'm not going to make a sex joke. Good night. Silent haze got me, got me to love. Come here. I'm not going to